What's up, everyone? This is Shiragam, and I want to welcome you to the re-release of episode three of the Hashishin, presented by Rosin Evolution, who you can visit at rosinevolution.com. As always, thank you for tuning in. This recording was originally made and released in 2019. Today, you'll get to hear the original interview with Ozzy, better known as the Cuban Grower. This interview contains a lot of his origin story, including his journey from Florida to now California, his cup experiences, the rise of dry sift and then rosin and much more. So definitely stay tuned for it. We again want to announce our new live event, Coffee and Donuts in Denver, Colorado on February 11th and 12th. We're incredibly thankful to quite a few folks that have already grabbed their tickets. We purposely keep these intimate. So if you're thinking of joining us on February 11th and 12th, in Denver, Colorado for Coffee and Donuts. Be sure to grab your tickets soon. Tickets for Coffee and Donuts Denver can be found on Eventbrite. The link can be found through our Instagram bio or at thehashishin.com. Shout out to everyone who makes up our community on Patreon. When this episode originally aired, we were still self-funding the platform. And now here we are almost four years later, in large part due to everyone who has supported the podcast through our community on Patreon. If you ever can or want to support the podcast, hear some additional content or grab a t-shirt or stickers, visit us at patreon.com backslash the hashishin. That's the hashish, I-N-N. Find the link in our Instagram bio at the hashishin or on our website, thehashishin.com. Shout out to another big reason that we can keep the podcast rolling. Our awesome main sponsor, Rosin Evolution, the best bags in the game, who again, you can visit at rosinevolution.com or on Instagram at rosinevolution100. Their support has been instrumental in allowing us to continue to grow. We're thankful to be able to work with such a high integrity cannabis company. They continuously show the community support, whether it's sponsoring events or creating content that informs us or by consistently providing high quality products to the community with their unmatched customer service. So if you wash hash or you press rosin, you like peace of mind, and you want to support a great grassroots cannabis company, visit rosinevolution.com and save an additional 5% by using our savings codes, the letters THI, the number 710 altogether. Again, THI 710 saves you 5% at rosinevolution.com while also helping support the podcast. I appreciate you listening and we really hope that you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much, man, for giving me time to sit down with you and talk. Oh, hell yeah, man, anytime. I'm sure most people already know, but if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's at Cuban Grower. Yeah, and uh, I have a website up, but it doesn't have much on it, but fuck it. Maybe by the time somebody listens to it, it will. <laughs> and that's uh, www.cubante.ch. So it'll say Cuban Tech, you know, but yeah, the IG and, and the uh, website's the only cool. forms of social media and stuff. And the website, when it's up, what do you, I guess, intend to have on there? So I want to have a, a portfolio of like pictures and stuff like that. Maybe just some, like a blog, sit down and talk about innovations or like, you know, if I switch something, put together a watering system, just somewhere to put up some information and share. Because I feel like IG is, um, it's hard to really convey stuff up there. It's a lot of just point and shoot or a one minute video. So I just want like a, a localized source of info for people. 
Nice. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, you know, on Instagram, it's something where you're just flipping through stuff. So yeah, it's having a place to kind of be able to look at something with a little more time is nice. Yeah, and just the uh, volatility of it. I mean, how quick you can lose an account and then all your information is gone. You know, that's... Yeah. And it seems like, I mean, in a way, in comparison to other people, you've been pretty fortunate with, with your account. Yeah, thank God, man. One, because... I try not to post stuff that'll get my account, you know, compromised. I've gone through and edited a lot of stuff. I never talk on DM about nothing that has to do with money. So if they ever check my DMs, you know, it's cool. And just for the people out there, the cops can fucking inquire with IG if they have a, a warrant and they can get your DMs. So you shouldn't be DMing stuff that'll get your account deleted anyways. But my wife got deleted. My wife got deleted on a scam couple years ago with X and other people because there was a dude that was fishing accounts that they knew had money or assumed had money. They would get the account erased and then somebody in the industry to not name names, but don't know who he is, would fucking come up to you at an event or whatever and be like, hey, bro, I know a guy that if you pay $2,000, you can get your account back. He's like a hacker and he fucking can get into an Instagram system and shit. And sure enough, bro, you gave the $2,000 and within 15 minutes, your account was back. That's crazy. Yeah, but then it will go, go down and the guy will be like, yo, bro, for another 500 bucks, you can get your account up. So some people that like social media was everything, they were paying that money, bro. A lot of people got extorted. And after like a couple months, IG caught wind of it. And every account that got deleted, that got reinstilled with the money, got permanently banned. Wow. So they lost the money, lost their accounts. I don't fucking fall for no extortion. So at that point, I was like, you know what, baby, I'm sorry. You're going to have to start a new account. And thankfully, you know, I get reported posts and stuff. I'm sure they tried to do it to me, but man, luckily it didn't happen. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And her new account is Cuban hash queen, but she recently, cause all, all that corrupt shit in fucking IG, cause yeah. you'd send an email through the normal means to get your account back. And it would like immediately get denied. Like if somebody inside was like, oh yeah, you don't want to fucking give this account back because you know, they might give you 2,500 eventually. But as the years passed, uh, I think Frenchie posted a link and we tried it. It was my wife's like 30th time. So when you try to get your account back, you have to send a picture with this number. You're holding a paper. I've like posed up my dogs with the paper, my kid. I mean, just everything. To, it got to the point I was just trolling them. And I think the last time my wife just had an angry face. Like, I don't even know I'm doing this. And they gave her an account back. So she has Cuban hash queen spelled out. Just her OG account. Okay. And then the letter Q B A N hash pool, which is like now she puts personal stuff and family things, stuff like that. So she was stoked. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she got the, the old one back. Yeah. Hell yeah. At least, but yeah, everybody can follow her on, on either account, I guess. Yeah. So how many cups at this point have you guys won together or Man. separate? So under the whole dynasty of what we were doing, and this would be including X, including Awards that I've won myself, awards that my wife has won, that she's made the works. And all together, approximately like 25. Oh. Yeah. So Cuban Tech is a, it's kind of like a, I don't know, bro, like a lifestyle of like growing the fire, putting out the resin, extracting that resin, not being about like back in, when I started, everybody liked the 70 micron and they were selling 45. This is before rosin existed. And I didn't like that shit. I wanted like the biggest heads, the best, you know, trying to fucking 
it's also, you know, a, a dry sift refining technique, which is when I first started using the hashtag, I'll post pictures of dry sift and call it Cuban tech. So under Cuban tech, if X makes an entry that's a dry sift, I feel proud to take credit in it because even if it's my boy and that's, that's like a brother to me, fucking proud as fuck and everything he's done. But I, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, man, you know, like because of every, all the innovations that we've done and everything, like all that shit is possible. So I lost count as to like how many trophies I've won by myself or my wife's won or ex, but we're all family, bro. Yeah. And together it's crazy, like 25. So I got inspired when I got, had one medal. My boy John sent me a picture of this dude out of Amsterdam and he was like, some fly European dude and he had like fucking 15 medals and shit. <laughs> he was like smoking a joint he had like like his medals like that and he goes, yo, is this going to be you in the future? And I was like, bro, I wish, you know, like that would be lit. Oh, I got way more than him already, bro. For sure. You'll have to pose with all 25 of them one day. It'd be like trophies and everything. <laughs> I have before. The only time I get to see them all at the same time is like when X goes to a show and he has a trophy case. Yeah. And if I bring mines that I've done individually and stuff and they're all there, I'll take a picture for sure. I have some nice ones. But yeah, bro, High Times likes to charge a lot of money for them things. So like, if you got to get a duplicate, bro, it's like 1500 bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you better not lose them, man. I'd rather go to Hawaii and have all those trophies. How many of those awards have been for SIF, do you know? Mm. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know, but I would say approximately 16 of them. So SIF had a explosive hit to the scene. At the time Dry SIF came out, it was water hash and it was water hash was dominant. And there was no freeze dryers, it was microplaning receiving. And uh, when Dry SIF came out, it was many times a lot lighter than water hash. It was a lot more pure. People that could take pictures, they were already taking like, you know, stuff that they've only seen on the internet. And it just crushed it bro, every single time. Uh, and it got to the point in competition that I saw decline in numbers in competitors. I would start and I was very ambitious and I wanted to go, it was, I entered a recreational one when I had medical and recreational. Okay. And that was lit, went to LA, it was like 50 entries. And my boy, um, Bugatti, which is Ice Extra, I got first place and fucking, I, I got second. I was real hype. The next one was a Denver. It was like 50 people. Also, we put in like six entries. We really wanted first. And we got first, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Wow. Yeah. And we won first in fucking Washington. So we were like, yeah. From that point on, bro, the numbers just declined, bro. It's like they didn't want to enter anymore. wanted to compete anymore? Or? No. They didn't want to compete anymore. So there was a... In, when Rosin came out, Rosin just started fucking smashing because like heard it from judges themselves after we get second place or something, we're bummed out. And our Rosin ones are like, yeah, man, it just, you know, leaves no residue on the nail. Like, what do you want me to say, man? You know, I'm like, dude, it's a fucking hash though. What do you mean? Like, it's always going to leave a residue, dude. So you want me to rosin my hash, you know? Right. It also, like I had a, a judge one time at high times, I got real upset. He came up to me and he's like, yeah, bro. Like I could tell what you entered, right? Cause you had like that jar with the fucking seal and the gold lid. And when I opened it, I saw a dry safe. but he was like, bro, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't give that first place, bro. Because it was like the same shit. Like you're entering the same dry sift and, and it was different flavors, but he was like, bro, you know, so like, I just felt like something else needed to win. And I was like, wow. So I got to a point and started seeing it's like, you know, I don't know what the right term is for it, but it started seeing it's like demise and a lot of a uh, challenge entering it. And from that point, we just started being a lot of seconds and thirds where we weren't really happy with that. And we realized Rosin was winning. So 
shit, let's rosin the 99 and fucking make it into something. We we're making good rosin at the time. And so we started winning first places again. And uh, since then, I, I kind of vowed not to enter the resin if it's not going to be appreciated because they require a lot of material. They require 28 grams and a thousand dollars. So 28 grams at the time was uh, if every gram is let's say 80 to 100, that's that's a chunk plus a thousand. Imagine doing fucking five entries, bro. That's a car, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So if someone is going to pick a, a oil over a tricone, then that's not where that resin deserves to be, you know, for sure. But while it was during its prime, it, it was crushing back to back, bro. So do you feel like rosin kind of was the game changer? Yeah, for sure. Like just um, as an example, Legends of Hashish in Spain this year, the first place was a uh, rosin and it was Terps Army. It's a good rosin, I'm sure, made with water hash. It looked good. But when you look at the at the pass, you got two dudes like over a screen making dry sift. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I found it ironic too. Man. Yeah. And like traditionally, like there's a there's a dude named Sadhu Sam that had been like banned from winning so much with dry sift. People got gone with bubble and stuff. So traditionally, I think hashish is like a resin. My boy says, nah, bro, hashish is like anything. It's like a, a extract. So, you know, some people that make oil call their shit hashish. I'm like uh, an elitist in that form because I make hash. I'm like, nah, bro, hash is like a, a glandular extract to me. But I guess, you know, it's it's uh, kind of become convoluted, bro. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just, I was, you know, telling you, I, I talked to Todd from Resin Ranchers uh, recently and we were talking about that. And essentially it's like, it has to be broken down into different categories for competition, I think, you know, and like he was saying he, he thought there should be a strictly one for dry sift, one for water hash, and then one for rosin. Yeah, but how many people enter dry sift? Yeah. I've judged Todd before. And right. when I did the dry sift at Emerald Cup, there was like four, five, six entries. Well, that's not fun. Can't even have a top 10. Yeah, I think, it, I think a real achievement to really be the king you need to win in that entire category, not just a subcategory. If a glandular extract can be made with water or it can be made dry or whatever, like all of them together. So then when you win, you really know you're the shit. If you win against, you know, four or five other people, you're always going to question that shit inside. You might be the best at the dry sieve in that competition, but you're really the best hash maker. So I guess two questions on that. It's like, why do you think people are not competing? Well, I think because they have lost trust in a lot of the organizations that hold these competitions. A lot of these, like for example, uh, High Times had been restructured, the amount that they required went up, and they just, you know, uh, it started with the whole movement of like Rig Cup and shit, and, and the High Times wasn't cool, and they didn't want to enter that. Then you got events that come like once a year. Shit, you look at the Emerald Cup, People enter that one, they still appreciate that one, get 100 entries. And so I think it depends. You look at the Eagle Clash, that was very, very nice too. You, you know, you had a lot of people hadn't shown up for a competition in a long time. I just think that they, a lot of people just feel kind of like sold out because it, it does cost a lot of money and it costs a lot of sacrifice to even make it to those things. And also the legality of things. Yeah. Like even since last year, you can't sell anymore. And at the Emerald Cup, they had like a heavy police and like kind of undercover presence and security. 
there's people walking around. They'd like send somebody like, hey, you got some hash or you got some oil. Once they were like opening their book bag, they get rushed. And that just is it's becoming very prohibition like, you know, and, and if you're not going to be welcome at, at the events like you used to, would you really want to like participate in them? Right. You know, and it's it's kind of weird that it's almost going in reverse of how cool maybe some of the events used to be in a way. Yeah. You know, I used to love them. And then little by little, I felt like they had just lost their luster. I think the biggest eye opener of a, like a change in times, for example, was the Emerald Cup. And to, to use that one as an example, because it was a, a recreational only cup, you need to have all your stuff in line to be able to have a boot. And, you know, years prior, I definitely loved that event. It's my favorite one. You'd see a lot of friends and they'd, you'd have, you know, everyone had a booth. You kick it. Everybody's making money. It's like a good vibe and shit. After they, you know, all sorts of fucking partying or whatever. And this year or last year, you walk around and like it's like 10% of the people you know have booths. Everyone else is like, you have no idea who they are. You see the people that have booths walking around. They have like a grim face like, you know, hey, how's it going, man? Ah, uh, you know, like still on the mission or the permit. Like I haven't made no money. And it's like it's not the same environment anymore. People that were optimistic and not to say it's all about the money, but a lot of this is like fucking bread and butter to these guys they, they bring food into their or, and money into their family a lot of this money that they made at events or when they made drops wouldn't go into a lot of fancy shit maybe went towards like a college tuition or a house you know and a lot of those people are they don't they're not making the same amount of money and i think people even in record are not making the same amount of money so it, the whole vibe is it's just you know even the ones doing good don't feel like so positive about it yeah and i mean you've You've lived in different medical yeah. states. You've been in Washington. Yeah. That's where I started. California. Washington, Oregon, and then I ended up here. In Oregon. Yeah. And, you know, so you, you've seen quite a bit of kind of how things have developed in these states and the regulations and, yeah. um, you know, what do you think specifically about California, I guess, at this point after Prop 64 in the in regards to to what like the changes yeah well these changes bro i had seen them in colorado so i won my first high times out in colorado it was a good time but when we were out there the recreational companies in colorado were not allowed to vent so as medical we went out there and we did whatever the fuck we wanted because they didn't enforce it we're not from there you know right. so but it, what they had was like uh they had sent emails to the legal companies and they're like if you sell something out there we're gonna revoke your license and then they never had a high times there again so when we were in washington things had they had voted in rec we had medical we had events it was beautiful like washington is such a great state in the sense of like the cannabis community so many people cultivate they have a high standard for what they smoke like some of the best weed i've ever smoked was there and what ended up happening slowly was as the people lobbying the changes in the laws were like, you know, grinding hard. They, they didn't have laws in place to protect the existing laws. Like they could just change the laws without people's vote. They started taking stuff away. They, they took away dispensaries, but they still allowed people to grow. So they took away your outlets. Then if you were like zoned a certain way, you couldn't grow no more. Events, you couldn't have events anymore. They, it, it was like one of those things where I was like, man... And at the time, I had opportunities to go right in Washington, but I wanted to go to Oregon and keep trying to like chase the, the medical and keep doing my own thing. And uh, sure enough, bro, same thing happened there. 
not as drastic because I feel like Oregon is a little underfunded in their enforcement. You can get away with a lot there as long as you're not like, you know, super there. As long as you don't make them put their fucking uh, spread thin money and target it on you because you give them a reason, <laughs> they won't bother you. But it's also very hard to make money there as like a, an individual because you, you can't market your products. So when I came to California and it was before Prop 64 got voted in, I like tried to like online if somebody was pushing towards recreation legalization, like, yeah, what I want is $500 pounds and everyone should smoke and this and that. I was like, yeah, that's a pipe dream, bro. But what about everyone else that like makes money off this stuff? Like, you don't know what's going to happen. I do, bro. They're going to take their rights away. They're not going to be able to cultivate. You're not going to have no shows. You're voting for something you really don't want. And sure enough, yeah, look, Prop 64 is like exactly like the recurring trend as what's happening in other states. I think California is a great state. I think that it's really hard to get into the market. I think that uh, in California, the amount of money they require for a permit, the amount of engineering and building and everything is like, if you don't have, I don't know, man, like a quarter mil to put up a, a hundred lighter. Imagine that you put up a, a fucking hundred lighter with like 70K, but you need like, you know, 250 just to get rolling. And then maybe some running costs like half a mil. So when you don't have a paper trail on half a mil and it's just been a lot of weed money, like what are you supposed to do? It's crazy. So yeah, that's a lot of money. I mean, yeah, they've cut a lot of people out. And now California, from what I've seen on the news, is going to allocate a lot of funds. I think it's something like, I don't want to say a billion dollars, man, but it's a ridiculous amount that if they got that money and well, the money's to enforce against black market growth. So they're going to use like the National Guard and they're going to do all this crazy shit to kind of like, um, bust the outdoors if they're busting indoors like in sacramento i think over 600 homes in the last couple months that's crazy so they took that money and help people get licenses that'd be awesome but i feel like the mom and pops kind of farm you know what i mean and and that's gonna be extinct here soon it's gonna be hard it's gonna it's gonna be to a point where i think you're either gonna go legal or you're gonna get employed by somebody and and call it quits or you're going to do the BM thing and it's going to be real hard to make money. Or you're just going to end up moving. I think realistically, it, I don't like recreational. I don't like recreational because I was getting, I had a rec job in Cali. I was getting paid paychecks, right? And like a regular guy. I'm in my 30s. I had an ambition of like settling down and buying a property since I've been on, on the whole move thing and stuff. And uh, when I got with the loan officer and I didn't give him specifics as to my job, but I gave him all, all the stuff they needed. The underwriter denied it because it's a federally illegal job because I handle cannabis with my hands. What's the point of paying taxes if I can't even get like home, bro? Can't buy a car without like a ridiculous interest rate. Yeah. You know? And a lot of taxes at that. Yeah. I think. You know? Yeah. And if you don't pay your taxes, you got back taxes and all sorts of stuff, but you, you don't have the same rights as um, somebody else. And also the tax bracket, it's, it's the same tax bracket they put towards like um, production of methamphetamine cocaine it's like a mafia tax bro and uh because it's a schedule one drug federally and i think i think it needs to change bro i, I think it will though yeah with time you know surely but slowly but yeah uh, i don't know it seems like it's it's like you said it's almost like this wave or like this trend where it goes from being in a better situation with the medical and then once the wreck comes in it just yeah it kills it 
basically isn't you know viable. And then as a what I find interesting about you and your wife outside of you know the the great product you guys put out is that you yourselves are almost basically like your brand. I mean, like yeah. everybody, anybody mentions Cuban in regards to hash, everybody knows who they're referring to. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that in itself is, is really intriguing to me in, in the sense that you don't necessarily, um, Fuck, sorry. Lost my train of thought. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've been I've been mentioned that before. Just recently, for example, somebody wanted to entertain me on uh, making a purchase on, like, the name and everything. He's like, yeah, bro, but, you know, the thing is that you don't have, like, a brand name, you know? Yeah. But, like, you are your brand, so that's kind of hard. So you need to be, like, the PR guy and this and that. He's like, I don't know how that worked. And I was like, well, bro, you know when that worked before? when they fucking dropped the Nike logo on the Jordans and you just had Jordan and people like Jordan, they don't give a shit about any, right. like his brand is his name, bro. Right. And it's, it's, the image is him. You know what I mean? And it sold. Why? Because that's like, it just worked. I don't know. It was, it was somebody was good at what they were doing. Yeah. And I feel not like I'm Michael Jordan because man, <laughs> shit, I wish I was Michael Jordan. But it's it's a very similar in, in, in that contrast, you know, where... I've created a lot of different logos and, and stuff like just whatever at the time, Cubans full melt before I used to just put Cuban growers yeah, or Cuban hash queens, yeah, Cuban tech, you know? So whatever I put on there, people already know what they're getting because they know who they're getting it from. Yeah. I remember one of the first logos. I think it's funny enough, the first time I ever really became aware of your work and it was at uh, like a Frenchie Cannoli workshop here in San Francisco and it's funny, man. He had this big spread of stuff out, all kind of old world hash yeah. pressed. And then there was this random little container there with the white top, I remember. And it had your your old logo yeah. where it was like almost like a caricature of you. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I wonder what this is because not many people were really going around the table even though we were supposed to just use whatever we wanted, you know? And so I was just kind of being nosy and checked it out and and I opened the container and I don't remember what it what straight it was or anything but I just remember that it was really really loud you yeah. know and I was like man this is crazy and I don't know if you know him, but Sable from Vape Exhale he was there like showing off his his product or whatever and he was about to leave but he was really gracious and let me essentially hit that I think it must have been SIF of some mm -hmm. type. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we, we put it in the Vapex sale and I hit it, man. And it was really just incredibly flavorful, nice effect. And I remember when I exhaled, Sabo was like, man, he's like, I got to go. But he's like, I'm just going to hit this because it just smells so amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so he loaded up, you know, and so it, it's just kind of funny, like, that was the first time I really became aware of you. And then, you know, obviously I, I started looking for you on Instagram or whatever and, and following you. And then that year at the Emerald Cup, you guys didn't have a booth, I think, or anything. You were just like, yeah, hanging out. Yeah, it was know? my first time judging. 
that was an honor, man. My boy T Beasel fucking hit me up on the line and he asked me to judge that event and that was great. Yeah, I didn't have a booth because that event is so highly sought, bro. The booths are like sold out like nine months before the event. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's no, crazy. It's definitely a popular <laughs> event, but you know, how was that experience like going from from essentially being a competitor to now like being a judge? It was uh, relaxing. <laughs> yeah, so that was a crazy experience. I felt like I was getting like like really ridiculously stoned. It was like a hundred entries, fifty rosins. It was like the same the the year that rosin was actually getting this paper six. Sorry, I'm rolling a joint. Nice. Um, it was cool. I kind of made me realize that one that outdoor material actually washed really nice. So I was seeing melt in there that it was like making me question my water hash ability because these guys had some fire. Some of the rosins were really fire. But overall, I got stupid high. But what was nice was being emerged into that culture of, of uh, NorCal, uh, being like welcomed into Mendocino. I had crews through Mendocino, but you have to realize like I'm a dude from Miami, Florida, Cuban out there. We smoke good weed and shit, but there's no hash culture there. There's a strong weed culture, but to see like me get into hash, a lot of the, the the stuff I was following was originated in NorCal, like the types of the packaging and the way a lot of the uh, techniques, because I, I feel like a lot of modern water hash manufacturing and, and processes were developed in that region. You know, I call the water hash we make and what we see like an IG, like North American or American hash. Because if you look at like the, uh, some Canadian shit is all right, but that shit is not as fire. Shit looks, you know, and the European shit is pretty whack, bro. A lot of the fire European shit, they're doing stuff that you'll see in the United States that you see like in California. SoCal makes good hash, but you already know. So to be welcomed into that, to smoke hash with like people that I remember seeing videos of them winning Emerald Cup like years ago and being part in, in, into that, you know, family kind of open arms to me was very special. And since then, I've been able to judge it three times. And every single time, it's like the same magic when you do it. Like when you start entering the hills and you start seeing the, the redwoods and you start smelling weed in the air and shit, like you already know what time it is. It's uh, nice. Yeah, it's nice, man. Uh, out there, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I like judging, but it's a lot of pressure because you, as a competitor, like I know the consequences of what I'm doing as a judge. I know that if I put a, the max score, let's say is a five, a three or a four can make a big effect. Like maybe not in the long run, maybe the first guy I feel his hash and I give him a high score and um, 50 hashes in, I, I have to start reconsidering. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know damn. what you mean. Yeah. So it puts a lot of pressure on me. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable when I have to like after see competitors and they're like, oh, you judge, oh, what do you think about mine or this and that? Yeah, it's a little awkward, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, it makes me like, you know, I don't like being put in that position. Do I like it? Yeah, I get to smoke a lot of hash and I get to see what's out there. But I, I don't like the result. I don't like seeing like sometimes like the sad faces at the end of an event. But in the end of the day, I think that that it will strengthen somebody if they really want to win. Sometimes you got to have like those. Yeah, man, I mean, nobody likes to lose, you yeah. know, but if something else is better, you know, either it's going to push you or, or you're going to stop competing, like you said. Yeah. Some, you know, uh, the good thing about those competitions is that it's made on a mean average of points. Okay. So back in the day, people used to be able to sit down and let's say 
they saw some numbers they didn't like, they'd be able to start arguing there between the judges, like, oh, I, I don't know why this was here, whatever, and they'd be able to change it. But that's been like, it's been like, I don't know, bro, like five, six years since it's really been like that on competitions. Now it's like a computer shit. You know, you put the scores and it tells you who it is and it's <laughs> what it is, you know? And uh, sometimes it's not who you expect to have won, but it's on an average. It's never nothing bad. It's always good, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems, it seems pretty fair. And I mean, you know, how many people typically judge on a panel? Mm, yeah, like usually like 10. 10? Yeah. I mean, it's a good From amount of people. life sometimes, man. Yeah. No, that's good though. You know, diversity. Yeah. And so would you say like the top five stand out pretty easily even amongst, you know, maybe hundreds of entries or? Hmm. I mean, I don't know about top five. I'll tell you how I do it. And um, a lot of people do it. Everyone does it different. Everybody, when they get their judges kit, let it be 10 or 50 or 100. What I do is I lay them all out, right? And I start doing the uh, the bottom of the jar check. I'll look at it. If it looks like some mids going to the pile, it's probably never <laughs> going to win. I'll still check it out and shit. But then you'll have like from 100, you might get like 30, 35. That you're like, damn, these are really good. Then it goes to the smell test. A lot of stuff, people watch the same shit. There's not a lot of originality. But sometimes you smell some power and then you're like, damn, this is good or whatever. And it goes from 35 to like a potential 15 or 20. And the goal is to get 10. And, you know, you got to then end up going to the meeting with those 10. You got to be like ready. So a lot of the work, visual and nose and then, you know, the melt and the press. To me, that's everything. If it doesn't melt good... Like I said, I'm a modern hash maker. There's people that, like, Frenchie will, will always get in an argument with me about this stuff because I, I love Frenchie, by the way. He's a, a OG, definitely supporter of, of what we do. He was there when I won my second award ever. He started crying. Powerful. Shit was like, damn, you know? But he has a different mentality on hash. And, you know, I guess that's what makes it good about the diversity. Because to me, if it, if it isn't, if I have 25 things in front of me and there's going to be even one that has a little char, to me, that shit isn't it. Because as a hash maker, I battle against that. Like, I try to make the most melty hash. And if it's the variety that I'm working with, if I'm popping seeds and it doesn't melt like I want it to, I'm not going to grow it. So, you know, they're my first high times or first Emerald Cup. I remember there's an inside joke about this, but we were judging and one of the judges was like, oh, I really like number whatever. And I was like, that one, that one like left a little bit of like char. I was like, what? And uh, she goes, yeah, but you know, I feel like the char enhances the flavor. And I was like, what? And at that point, my lady, she's just like an inside joke. She'll be like, yeah, you know, because the char enhances the flavor. <laughs> so, you know, everybody judges different, bro. And you got to respect that sometimes. Yeah. Everybody's looking for different things. And like you said, I mean, I think it's like a, it's definitely like a generational thing, you know? Yeah. And I mean, this is a. It's, I think it's a different generation of not only, you know, hash makers, but hash consumers. And so people now don't necessarily, I'm not saying everybody. I mean, there, there's definitely people out there who, who like traditional hashish, but... Big time, bro. There's some pages on IG, like Hayes Society and Hash Society. They're like, they're mids pages, bro, with like three, four hundred thousand followers. And they're all like uh, Moroccan slabs and stuff. Yeah. And you look at the comments and I'm there. I look at this stuff. I'm like, bro, I feel like typing something here. <laughs> and you look at the comments. You're like, yo, that looks so fire. I can't wait to try that someday. 
I guess, you know, there's a product for everybody. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's kind of the cool thing in a way, like just everybody, everybody can do their own thing. But yeah, I think modern hash makers for sure melt is, you know, but speaking about that, it's like with the dry sift and the water hash, to some degree, there's going to be something, something left behind. Yeah. You know, I assume because... I mean, you're still just collecting the resin and not necessarily like dissolving it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for sure, bro. There's this test to te- check that out. It's called a gravimetric scale or whatever. So this dude, Archive, had developed a, a way to rate milk. And at the time, it was honestly probably, the it's probably still is the best way to rate milk. And what he did, you know what a Jermichael is? I don't. So Jermichael is when you get like a stainless steel screen and it'll be like like a fucking 25 micron or something like that, a five micron, like a real nice round screen. And what they would do is you'll put the hash on the, the screen, right? Or you'll put like a ball of hash and he would weigh the screen with the ball of hash and then write that down. And then with a pair of pliers on an email, he would put the screen over and then you would hit it until like it was done, you know? And then he would weigh that after and see how much residue was left over. And at the time with uh, forum cookies, I had broken the the record. I think Kush for Breakfast had it then. I don't know who has it now, but it, it was very melty. This shit just literally went through the screen. So that for sure. I think I started noticing though, like uh, no matter how good the melt is that you can get a uh, residue when just the etiquette of smoking out of glass changed. And people started to like Q-tip quartz and keeping the quartz looking like as fresh as possible. And then they would notice, you know, like if you had one Q-tip to clean it versus two or all, you know. So that that started making me realize that there's a lot beyond just getting it a pool of, of uh, oil from the hash and stuff. Like now you got to worry about like, man, is this a one Q-tip type of <laughs> melt right here? It, it makes you self-conscious about it, as, especially as somebody that's like, Trying to evolve as the game goes on, as new generation of hash makers start coming into the scene, is something that you gotta adapt to. You know, some people don't adapt to that, but I've always been about the fire and the quality, you know, before making money. Yeah, um, you know, I've done a few interviews up until this point, and in some way, shape, or form, you know, you guys keep coming up. And so I feel like pretty much everybody associates the Cuban brand really with like excellence, man. I mean, it, everybody knows that pretty much if it's coming from you, it's going to be good, you know? Oh uh, yeah. I appreciate that. We try before, um, you got to think about it like this. My mentality ever since I was a, a young buck in uh, Miami was that if, we're, if you're doing it in the prohibition and the consequence was getting locked up and getting into these things, you kind of knew what you were doing, right? If you were growing something, taking this risk and your product wasn't the best, can you imagine taking this risk, growing some mids and then your, your broker's like, I don't want this bro. Or taking a hit or like getting locked up and being like, damn man, I fucking am a mids pusher. So from where I'm from, we smoke good weed and I, I fucking made sure that what I was growing was the fucking bomb. And I got taught by my cousin, he's fucking grew the bomb too. So I took that mentality as a cat out of Florida when I was in Washington. 
And I was always about like trying to make the best shit. If it was the best flour or if it was the best hash. And um, for a long time, like I told you, I used to buy hash. So I used to get a lot of stuff made into real fire BHO. Or I used to push packs in Washington. And then what I would do with that money is that your boy would go buy some hash. <laughs> your head stash? Yeah, I'd go get my head stash. But like, there was only like one or two like hash makers. Or I wasn't maybe too plugged into who had the good hash. So I would spend like a rack or two and end up with a lot of like three or four star. I was like, damn, man, this kind of fucking sucks. So a buddy of mine, Voodoo, ran some shit. I'm going to tell you guys a story. You'll probably laugh at this shit. I know he knows, but bro, he told me he was going to wash some shit for me because he washed some shit for uh, a buddy in Washington, Gold Dash. And I hit him up. I was like, man, I want some good hash. I'm getting mids. He's like, bro, I only run fresh whole plants. And I was like, okay, dog. Real shit, dog. I went into my garden. I cut a plant from the stock and I stuck them in contractor bags and I go in a fucking uh, SUV and I meet this dude up and I give him a couple plants from the garden. And he's like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, whole plants, right? That's what you wanted? He's like, no, bro. I wanted the whole plant, like the, the nugs and shit debunked. He took it and then he ran it and the variety didn't melt. But I didn't know that in my head. I'm like, man, man, I'm, I'm just buying mids or like processing mids for me. What the fuck? So I, I bought a little cheap washer and bag set, bubble man ones, you know, off of Craigslist. And I started like washing and, and some, I realized some stuff melted, some stuff didn't. And I really started changing like um, the strains I was cloning for the next round. The haze would melt. And as time went on, that was like, let's say my first time ever making hash. It's probably... March of 2014, like making it. And I hadn't sold a gram until like September, bro, which was high times. I would just make hash and smoke. Like my whole fridge was full of all sorts of hash. <laughs> just your own. Yeah. So that was with the water hash. And, you know, we always, qualities would got me into it. What I was making was quality. In the summer, my washroom ended up becoming a trim room because in Washington, you don't have AC in your house. Because it only gets hot for like three weeks. But it's like, you know, ball dripping hot though. So the... the yeah. Sorry, lighting up a joint. <laughs> but, um, all right. So I started dry sifting because... One, when I started, I had a, a trim crew that I would subcontract to do my work. But I would have to transport the, uh, the untrimmed flour. And then they would give me back my flour trimmed. They gave me back Keith and, and this thing that I had never heard of called a trim bin. And then they give you back your trim and everything ends up and then your stems and everything weighs exactly what you give. Them. So I ended up with a lot of fucking Keith. And I, I was like asking this lady, like, what do I do with this? She's like, I don't know. Small game. Like, all right. You know, and then I had seen because, you know, being fucking a big cannabis fan for so many years in, in Florida, I had seen videos of like dry sift pictures of like bubble man and stuff. So I looked those things up and tried to find information on how to do it. And it's very secretive. So I started doing some of the stuff, like trying to refine this shit. And at the time uh, I bought a fucking set of screens. I was very limited in, in what, what it really brought and stuff. I had no fucking clue what I was doing. So a lot of that key went bad. The same fucking ladies, I was able, it was an old lady. I was able to talk to them because they worked for another dude in a shop is where they were doing it. And I was like, look, why don't I pay you $25 more? And then you can come do it at my house. 
and shit, you know, like bring all your ladies. They're, they're all old people. But I was like, you know, you did a good job and shit, and I'd just rather you do it here. I had them trimming, and it was like uh, the living room or something in my farm in Washington. And they looked at me after a day, and they're like, look, Ozzy, it was the old lady. She's like, Ozzy, we're not going to come back here unless you put in some air conditioning because the girls are complaining, and they're sweating. And one of them said a sweat drop landed on the nug, and she can't do this, and, and you need to figure something out. And I was like, damn, the only room I have with a fucking AC was my washroom where I had like one little washer in my bags. And I was like, you know, I was like, damn, man. All right. So obviously that means I'm not making no hash. So I gave them the cold, the room that I have with the AC. And um, sure enough, they were producing a whole lot of Keef. So I was like, man, let me fucking try to figure it out. And one of these, one of those days I just fucking did something. I didn't even know what I did and, and saw the fucking, you know, I was able to, start separating the heads. And at first I think like for days, I didn't know what I did. And I uh, went back at it. Cause you know, you gotta work on the stuff in the cold room. So when the ladies weren't there, I fucking got a table, set up the screens and kept trying. And I started being able to effectively separate the heads and start making a melt. So to me, I was like, oh, this is great. I got jars of Keef. I don't need a cold room. I don't need a wash. Cause washing for you guys that haven't done it before, that shit is very, very physical. I had a guy, actually, I got to go consult. And he was like, yeah, man, I want to learn how to wash because it's easy. And I was like, it's like, yeah, all right, bro. Keep thinking that because once you fucking realize that everything weighs and that water has weight and that, yeah, you might be spinning something and shit, but your back's going to feel shredded. You're fucking going to be in these exposed temperatures where your fucking fingers are going to start feeling like, like you're going to be getting like a tendonitis is what I feel like I'm getting in my hands from water hash. But dry sifting, 60 degrees and you're good. You just set up the screens, you're ready to rock in like 10 minutes. So I started making dry sift. Now, before I made dry sift, I was making water hash and had a good friend of mine. He goes by a lemon hoko. He's a breeder out of Washington. He's an old man. OG, been growing indoors since like the 80s. He has pictures on Polaroids, like fucking hoods and plants. He's there happy as fuck. You know, on 2014, he was like Cuban. I'm going to have this chem dog that I want you to wash and we'll enter high times. And I was like, enter high times. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, bro, your water hash is fire. Like, we'll fucking do it. And um, that was like a couple months before I started dry sifting. As I started dry sifting, you know, Lem and I are communicating. He's like, are you ready to wash? I'm like, bro, I don't think we should wash. I think we should dry sift. Had he seen any of what you had made up until that point? Not the dry sift. Not the dry sift, but when these guys linked up in person and they saw it, they were like, whoa, you know, never seen this before. So Nick T had came and done some work for them to like do an entry and wash and like time was getting closer. And then my boy calls me, I guess he had an issue. Uh, Lem, he was like, man, I don't think this is going to be dried by then. We can wash it, but it won't be dried by then. But um, I had just taken down a crop and I was already obviously on the Keith mission, having my ladies put the Keith in jars. And I was like, Lem, I think we should enter something from me. I got two strains. I got this silver haze that when I fucking smoked the dry sift, it has me like looking out of the windows, like I'm fucking paranoid and I'll sit down and I'll be like daydreaming so much. I'll fall asleep, like thinking, you know, it's like some fucked up high. And crazy. Uh, yeah, it's funny, bro. It was real racy and real m mental. And one time I'm like, I lived in a farm and uh, I, I came from Florida. I was real paranoid about everything. 
And um, and one of those, I'm like taking a dab and it's like doing drugs, bro. I'm like, ah, look at the window. Oh, the dogs, this and that. And then in one of those, I take a dab, I look out the window and I don't see nothing. And then I look out the window again and there's two cops blocking my road. And I'm like, whoa, like am I high, bro? I remember I went out with the fucking cell phone and zoomed in and took a picture and it was there. It was like the cops. It's like, man, this is a bad, bad one. So I had that in a fucking Skywalker OG. And in my head, I was like, man, if anybody smokes this fucking haze, they're gonna, no matter what the fuck they're smoking, they're going to get really high. They're going to stop smoking. This is going to be like their shit. And I made some sips and we ended up linking up with a buddy, Kaya. And it was Kaya, Lem, and, and a couple other heads. And it was kind of like a testing of like, let's dab, dab this. They had their stuff in my point of going over there. It was like, dab this haze, dab this OG, and what do you like better? It was like unanimous haze. So I ended up entering it. I fucking uh, got a, a discount on the entry. I provided my own resin. And uh, at the time, it was a... You either could do medical, and it was only people from Washington, or you could do recreational. It was every fucking big dog that was coming, you know? Right. And I didn't want to be, like, like have that question in my head. Like, did I win because I went up against the local guys? I don't want to do that, you know? So I entered recreational, and it was crazy because I was getting psyched out. I was watching the first guy was psyching me out hard was third gen. And I'm sure you know third gen. He yeah. has, he has a, a lot of energy. He, he makes a lot of good shit. And me coming into this competition the first time, I was like, man, this guy's going to crush me. Like I'm, I'm fucking, I'm like nervous. And then you had like the fucking legend that from Seattle, fucking go organics had won like 15 awards and all these, local cops with his cut of ghost train and stuff. And he was entering too. And, and they were entering obviously the wreck. Yeah. yeah. He entered medical and wreck, but all the other people entered the, the wreck. And I went from feeling like I had something to like really doubting myself and stuff. But I think it, it really got to me the night before the cup that we had a get together. Kaya hosted a party and goat was there. You had like, you know, a bunch of heads from Washington and, and other heads too. And when I whipped out that dry sift, you could just see it in their eyes, bro. They were like, wow, you made this by hand. Like, whoa, can I get a slap? And I had an abundance of resin. I wasn't selling nothing. So I was like, yeah, let me get you a fucking, here's a three grand patty. And they were like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, go ahead, bro. So they started reposting it. I had like 800, 900 followers. On that Saturday, I, I my boy had a booth. I just had a little cooler with some head stash. And people like looking at it like, whoa, wait, come here. You got to look at this. Whoa. Posting it went from like 800 to 1500 to 2000. And I think at the end of the whole thing, it was like 4,000 followers. That's crazy, man. That's in one day. Yeah. It was insane. I couldn't even believe it. And that award ceremony, I ended up getting, I was real hyped. I, I was already convinced I was going to get first place. There's no way in hell that I wasn't. <laughs> and when uh, they called the awards, and mine was third place. And then you had uh, Skittles, second place. And then Gold got first place. And I fucking cried, bro, like real shit. Because I had already really thought that I, I was going to win. And I didn't cry tears of happiness. I cried fucking tears of like, I was angry, you know? And I remember I went up to Gold and I had tears in my face. I go, I was like, hey, bro, I'm going to get your ass in the next one. I was like, the next one? You're going to see, I'm going to spend this whole winter. I'm going to fucking grow something, crop something. You're going to see me again. And I was like, 
And I meant that shit with like every ounce of in my heart, bro. I fucking really, I went to the lab. I started focusing on the grow. I would wake up at four in the morning and it was all about the grow, all about the grow, all about the grow. And you know, the next couple was in February. So I had not, I had met X at uh, the cup in Seattle, first cup. Cause I had, I had not gone out nowhere. I was fucking like lived in the woods. I didn't even care what I looked like because I had dreads in my beard. And not saying people with dreads don't care, but like I barely interacted with nobody. I was like about my money and about make, growing the weed and making sure it was good. That was my priority in life. So I went out and met a bunch of cool people for the first time. And I was like, all right, dope, bro. And I remember before the event and I was growing to enter my own shit. My boy Vic from Green, uh, Green Health, because they closed all the shops down in Washington. So anyways, I went to go make a drop. It was my first drop ever because after I, I won, people wanted my resume. This was after that first competition. Yeah, and I didn't even know what to sell my stuff at. I would kick resin to like my trimmers or my workers and I'd charge them $35 a gram, dry sit. And I remember Kush for breakfast, he came by one time, he was like, you know, he was like, hey bro, can I buy some hash from you? Some of that dry sift? And I was like, you want to buy some of the dry sift? He's like, yeah, how much? I was like, bro, I don't know. I'll give it to you for 35 bucks a gram. He's like, are you sure, bro? He's like, 35 bucks a gram. He's like, nah, bro. Like, let me give you 40. I was like, nah, chill. Just take it for fucking $35 a gram. What do you mean, dog? And fucking put your money in my pocket. Bro, that first, all right, so let's backtrack a little bit. When I went to go meet Kaya and these guys for the first cup, before the first cup, Kaya had a talk with me. He was like, hey, bro. Kaya is talk. from PNW Roots, yeah. right? All right. He was like, yo, we got to have a talk, bro. I was like, what is it? Here's that. He's like, bro. Word around town is that you're selling your fucking dry sift for $35 a gram. And he's like, you can't be doing that because you're undercutting everybody and you're getting, putting out a better product. And what's happening is that you're destabilizing the market. So you got to raise your price. And I was like, what well, do I got to raise my fucking price? I said, like, yeah, bro, you're going to have people that, that are going to not want to be your friend and shit because you're undercutting them. And I know you're not doing it intentionally. I was right. like, well, I don't know what this shit is worth, bro. He's like, bro, do $50 a gram. So I was like, all right. So going into that Seattle Cup, I remember James from fucking Gold Coast was like, um, I'll buy everything you can make. And I, I was like, all right, $50 a gram. He's like, anything, make it. So that, that same day, me and my boy just spent like fucking 18 hours in front of screens. I was like, it was my boy, Daggy. I was like, Danny, start making hash. Bring as much of your shit. And I promise you, every single gram you make is $50, dog. So you better get your ass over here. <laughs> so we fucking dry sifted. We met up with this dude and we sold it all to him. He was so damn happy, bro. So going into... And what was that material that you were working? It was my the same strain that I had got their place with the haze. The haze. Yeah, because I had grown a lot of it. Because at that time, I had realized that some strains melt and some don't. So I only had one strain that melted. You know, unlucky for me. It was the silver haze, right? Yeah. yeah. So the fucking... The haze was the only one. And little by little, I acquired more. But yeah, I had like almost a monocrop of... Haze has so much haze. So going into like towards the path of the second cup with the demand of people wanting hash, I fucking had sat down with somebody that had told me like, bro, I think you should be fucking charging a hundred dollars a gram. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, bro. My water hash, it calls ice wax. My shit is a hundred dollars a gram. And Res heads is a hundred dollars a gram. And I was like in, in late 2014, early 2015. And he's like, yeah, bro. Like your dry sip should be a hundred dollars a gram. So I fucking 
I looked at my boy and I was like, um, I'm going to sell you this shit for $80 a gram and you're going to sell it for a hundred and you're going to make $20 because we're going to sell it all out. We're going to do this a lot. All right. I thought it was going to be like a fail because back then it was $10 a star in Washington. So you got somebody doing the $60 and you got me trying to come in $40 higher in Washington. No bullshit though. I gave that shit to my boy. He picked it up on Sunday and then we made the video. It was going to drop like on Tuesday. And there's people that came from all over the state. There was a line outside the dispensary before it even opened where my boy was like, yo, bro, I don't think I have enough. I'm going to have to do two gram limit. <laughs> and there's people trying to buy other people's grams in the fucking, in the line, bro. And it sold out like in, in like 30 minutes. Yeah, the hype was... It's insane. I was like, holy shit, you know? And that was, that was real cool. The second time I was like, yo, let me resupply you. So I go over there and he was telling me about his boy, Mike from Exotic Genetics, that he had the, this fucking strain called Cookies and Cream and Kimbo that he was about to make all this shit into oil, but that he had seen the material. He's like, bro, I don't know how stuff is supposed to look for dry sift, but this shit looked like it's all covered in key from the bottom. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I don't know, bro. Like, not a lot of shit makes dry sift, you know what I mean? He's like, nah, bro, you got to fuck with this shit. I was like, all right, well, tell your boy to let's meet up. I guess he didn't want to meet up, but he gave him a pack of uh, fucking, it was like some trim. And he's like, yeah, try it out. If it works, if it doesn't, whatever. Took that shit home and I fucking refined it. And I was getting like almost double the yields of the haze. And the color was like crack white. So I was taking this haze like 12, 13 weeks and the heads were like red. You know? Right. And this hash was like white. And um, I called my, my fucking boy Vic and I was like, hey man, we got to set up a meeting right now. I want all that shit. Like tell him that, that he has to sit down with me. So we sat down and he was like, yeah, man, but like, why would I want to do that if I could just make it to oil? I was like, how much are you getting for your oil? He's like, I'm getting $35 a gram. I was like, what yields are you getting? He's like, I'm getting this amount. I was like, bro, I can make you way more money. I was like, look, we could get this. I just did your pound. This is how much we get. This is how much we, we move it for. And like, you'd be stupid to do that. So sure enough, he's a man of numbers, bro. That, those packs came like within hours. I was like, all right. <laughs> so I made it. And when he saw it, he was like, hey, man. Do you want to enter high times together? And I was like, I was like, bro, I'm trying to enter my own shit. He's like, bro, enter your own shit and enter and let's enter this and we'll do it together. I was like, all right. And we did. We fucking rolled out to the cup. He had a booth. He was doing it pretty big. And we got second place that week in L.A. It was February of 2015. And uh, the stuff from my garden didn't place. This was high times again? Yeah, it was my second high times. So I already knew there was something strong there. So X is like, yo, we've got to do this again, even harder, even better, like for Denver. And I'm like, Denver, I'm like, <laughs> bro, what the fuck? We just did a cup. We're going to do another cup. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do it again. So bro, that was like around the time Rosin came out and we fucking did five dry sifts and we got one dry sift and pressed it into a rosin in this like enormous t-shirt press. It was like a fucking... 24 by 24 plate probably cooked the shit out of it this is way before the the presses started coming out yeah it was More like people, dedicated presses yeah it was before dedicated presses where they were just ghetto rigging stuff and at that time i had taught my wife how to sift and uh, she made an entry i taught x how to sift he made entries i made entries and we went in real strong it was like a week and a half of like grinding that he would be there early he was ready to work and we went out to that high times it was a three day week weekend and I was pretty hype. I was ready. I had seen the, they fucking, um, you know, I'll show you the, 
video the entries and it was like long, bro. I was nervous. I was like, damn. Well, the first day as I'm like at the booth trapping, talking to people, you know, at that point, a lot of people wanted to meet me and they wanted to meet my wife and show us hash. I felt like the guy in the, like I flipped the script. Like I was the guy walking around showing people hash. Right. And I felt like people were coming to me and showing me hash. Yeah. And at first, like I got emotional. I think I fucking, you know, it was like teary eyed because this dude was like, yo, is this hash fire, bro? I've always wanted to show you. I'm looking at it. I'm like, dog, this is fire, dog. Like, like why are you showing me this shit? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, Cuban, you're the man. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was a good feeling, but nothing was better than this. As things are like kind of wrapping up these, uh, this girl and her husband that they worked for some fucking, I don't know what extraction company, if it was Terpex or what at the time. And they're like, like, wow, I was with the judges and I tried your work. The girl, she's like talking to me uh-huh. and she's like, tears are coming out. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? She's like, it was so good. I was like, all right, well, who did it play? She was, I tried one and the girl says that that's the one that won. I was like, what? She goes, yeah. And then I tried another one and she said that one won too. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Multiples. I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is fucking insane. So I get X and I'm like, yo, 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 yo. I'm like, say that again and let him hear it. She was like, <laughs> like at this point, she was like, really, you know? Yeah. I was like, holy shit. So imagine it was a, a fucking, it was like a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That Sunday, I was feeling like a fucking God, bro. I was like feeling my confidence to the peak. I was feeling really good. That same evening was the award ceremony. Okay. I walked up to this guy. He's a good, good friend of mine now. He goes by Scotty Piffin. And I seen like, he's like fucking drunk, bro. Cause I was like drinking shit. I knew some good shit was going to happen. They pulled me to this like exclusive side where it's like people that are going to go on stage and shit. I'm nervous. I look at the dude, he's like rolling up some weed. I'm like, yo, what you rolling up? It's like F1 derbs. I'm like, all right. I was like, finish rolling that up. That's my joint, bro. And he's like, what? I'm like, dog, I'm about to go on stage and shit, bro. Like I need to smoke something. And this dude, the draft dodger, he's like the guy that makes the canagars. He was like, oh, he's like, nah, man. Hey, fuck that. He doesn't know how to roll. Let me roll that. So they, he rolls me this big fucking joint. And I was like, all right, cool. So they call it and they're like, all right, third place. Kimbo Kush with uh, Cuban Cuban Tech and Exotic Genetics. And I was like, ah, dog, third place, dog. And he goes, second place, trichome heavy extracts with, with uh, some stronana or something. And then first place, cookies and cream. And I was like, whoa. It was like crazy. I went up there and shit. I don't even remember. It was like, fuck possessed. Like you just are saying shit. And uh, they, <laughs> they had like a high times the next day. So a lot of the people that like lost didn't show up. People that won were there, the a crowd was still there. Right. So it was like, oh, that's my most beautiful high times experience at that time. It was great. They were like celebrating it. People like Dynabite Hashway has sold out. It was crazy. Too bad they've never done another high times again in Colorado. Oh, they haven't? I didn't know that. No. But from that point on until current day, we never did we never did not get a podium finish in high times in every event that we entered. Yeah, that's pretty incredible because it's been some years now. And yeah, so, since 2014. It's always been a top three, not not always first, but... Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of people out there now doing, you know, uh, I guess all kinds of stuff now. And like you were saying, I don't know if we talked about this here or, or before, but about the, the rosin coming yeah. in and kind of um, 
changing changing things up, especially in, in competitions. And so you're having to go about things in, in a different way to compete nowadays to to actually have a chance to, to place, I think. Yeah, I was honestly offended the first time that I ever lost to a rosin because the rosin, rosin has evolved a lot. Rosin now is very respectable. But when it first came out, what I looked at it as was Oh, I can do something with my non-melt and my half-melt. I can actually make it an oil. So I was like, I was pressing mids. I would never press my six-star. Like, why? It melts great just the way it is, you know? I agree. Yeah, but um, what started, when I started losing to it, it wasn't six-star. It was like flower rosin. And when you look at it, it's all like buttered up. And they're like, yeah, I won. And they show you something. And you're like, I lost to that, bro? You know what I mean? Like, oh, congrats, man. But like, damn, I don't want to be a hater. I'm not going to tell you nothing, but... I went like, you know, you just feel some sort of way about it as things got better and they did pressing six star rosin completely changed. I mean, done properly, you can get a six star hash that has like a certain cannabinoid concentration, terpenes and everything. And you can further raise those levels by properly pressing it, you know, and making a better end product in the end. But I mean, hash is an art though. To me, it is because... You can get anything and make it into a rosin. You can get a five-star and make it into a fire-ass rosin. Or you can get a non-melt strain and make some fire rosin. But you can't make fire hash without, like, fire starting material and fire techniques and process, you know? So to put in that, like, big brain fucking time and, and technique versus something that can be pressed with a hair iron and win, you know, and I can lose against that, it's hard for me to really respect it you know so what i started doing is entering rosin against rosin because i felt like i wasn't winning so you're you're having to press the six star now yeah hell yeah i did that i fucking um we first started with pressing dry sift 99 percent like uh, what would have been our entry would have pressed that and then my boy at the time was like really good with the kneading and i didn't you know I would just fucking whip the shit with a tool <laughs> and it would come out streaky and stuff. And like he would knead it and do this stuff and it would come out really nice, like white patty. And we cut it with a razor blade real good and, and, and enter it in nice chunks and it would win. And um, so recently, the last uh, two wins that we got last year, I did the same thing. I washed some 90 micron strawberry yeah. and then pressed it and um, made it into a wax. It was like white as hell. And we won. I entered the same 90 micron as I hashed the same competition. It didn't even place top three. But you have uh, judges that are hashers that are like, yo, the hash is better than the rosin. You know, maybe it wasn't, but in their hearts, yeah, it was because they're OGs about it. There's a lot of stuff with hash that, that the little minor things that can be like perfected. Like, for example, I noticed when I started making dry sift and smoking pure heads that I would get like a pure flavor of a strain. And then when I would dab, like, let's say I made some water hash at the time, you know, it was, I had pretty good water, 30 PPM or whatever, but I wasn't like RO and everything. And I felt like sometimes I could like taste the stocks or I could taste the water, not like a chlorine taste or anything, but just like, you know, like there's a, something there that wasn't in the dry sift. So those type of things, like those little minor points you try to like refine to, to uh, further make that process even better like how to make better water hash sometimes it goes beyond melt it goes like you know every variable but once you get a hash like let's say let's say you get a 99 percent dry sift or you get let's say a water hash that was made with 30 ppm water you think you could taste and fucking nose hairs burn from the systemic hairs or whatever and then you get 
hash made with RO and everything, you might think it's better. But then when you press those two into a rosin, it almost seems like they're identical. At the end of the day, like those imperfections that would have been, would have made or break a hash maker are completely nullified when you make a rosin. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to say. But yeah, that's exactly it's crazy. It. It's like you get to see it with the rosin. It, that kind of part of it goes away. So uh, your, your personal preference, I guess at this point, still being the six star in its original format or dry sift? I mean, I like dry sift because I feel like the way it looks is very unique. I feel like the uniqueness of it, it lost its luster somewhat when freeze dryers came out that like full melt started to look like dry sift to the untrained eye. They were getting that look. And I can, Im- I can imagine that was very exciting for new hash makers. They didn't have to learn how to dry hash or just hash makers in general that were losing the popularity of their product to blonde dry sift, they were getting a similar consistency. But the difference is that when you get a dry sift and you take a macro photography of it and you take a macro photography of a freeze dried water hash, you know, they're very distinct. And the fact of, of like how the resin heads, you can see them individually in a dry sift and it's purity. And in a water hash, it's very hard to get that. My water hash, I, I try to make it unique use a, a old method. I never really transitioned to a freeze dryer. I sieve it. I make it look like, you know, Bamford nicotine from back in the day, but I, I, I don't air dry it. So I, I feel like I do it better. Nicotine told me that I was the best at sieving. And he was like one of the people I really looked up to because of, I use a vacuum oven to pull the moisture out of the hash. Okay. And uh, versus like air drying a sieve could be like a week to two. Sometimes it show cake on the fucking on the rack, you know, right. but it, what it ends up doing or just any, any technique like that's not the freeze dryer is that it gives the hash a different look, either if it's translucency or if it looks, you know, it can end up starting to, to look like something that's not even hash. Some water hashes will end up greasing and look like oil, you know, but with a freeze dryer, I feel like you don't get that same look. It always has a same similar flat look. Even when it greases, it kind of just looks like freeze dryer. There's fire freeze dryer, but you know, I guess I appreciate both of them, definitely. But if there's one thing that brought popularity into our program, it was the dry sift. It's really what propelled us into like worldwide when it came to like hash circles and stuff. Right. The water hash is good, but they're, you know, always thankful for that method, which is why we're focusing on it a lot too this year. Thankful to my boy, uh, Mike from the village that he's lent himself to take photography. He's always been a big supporter too, I think. When he took pictures also with with Eric Nugshots on some of the uh, banana punchos, actually, that stuff that you have in front of you, that was also, you know, it got a lot of likes and stuff. Because I, I think, like, the appeal of it, just to, to know that that it's, like, uh, like hand-selected heads. And these things are microscopic. Right. And then, like, kind of blows your mind when you think about how you're purifying something that you can't even, dis- like, differentiate these things by the naked eye. I mean, you can, you can see like the refraction of the light and everything, but you don't know what's inside that little rock right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. That photography really just amplifies like, I mean, it's like you said, it's microscopic, you know, and guys like Eric Nutshots are doing such a good job taking these photographs that it's just amazing to see the 99.9 at that scale. Yeah. It's, you can really, really appreciate that cleanliness and then you know you and I were talking about earlier how there's just a huge difference even between uh, a 98 and a 99 yeah you like, know 
like a macro photographer. So when uh, the village sent me that picture and I was like, wow, it was the first one. It was like on a dab tool. And it looked like tiny little, like just a nice little fine layer of heads. And he was like, yeah, man. I was like, that, that shit came out really nice. He's like, yeah, I just stuck the dab tool in the jar and pulled it out. And it just looked like that. I was like, yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, man. I tried to take photographs of like other dry sifts that from, you know, other producers. And he's worked with, with quite a few people. He's a hash guy too. Yeah. He's like, you know, and I couldn't quite get it to look like that. Like I would have to try to like stage the picture. But yours like was like, didn't have to do nothing to it. And I was like, yeah, bro, it's the Cuban tech right there. You know, it's that difference. And I've had dry sift producers that I'll throw them a couple bones of, of info, you know what I mean? Just to get them like, if they're using the wrong lines per inch and I'm like, yo, you might get a better result with this, you know, whatever. And then they'll link up and they'll be like, yo, I'm on that Cuban tech. But the, the reality is that just because you're working on a screen, you know, it ain't. So they'll look at their shit. It's good. But I'm sure in their head, they, you know, they have questions like, man, how do I get that last little bit of green or how do I, you know, whatever. Is it at that point when you're talking about a last little bit of green, it's like to solve perfectionist, it's like a thing here and a thing there. And I'm sure they really want it gone, you know, yeah. and they probably try real hard and it's like a mission. So when they see, you know, our shit and they're like, yo, like you got it gone. And I'll be like, yeah, bro, you know, that's Cuban tech. And they're like, so you're telling me like Cuban tech ain't doing what you told me? Like, nah, <laughs> nah. If you're using like a, a, any sort of like parchment paper, any like static tech like that, I don't think you could do it. And I'll say that, you know, there's people that come online. They're like, you don't know everyone in the world, bro. Like there could be someone that's better. Like, all right. But throughout the years, I've literally opened challenges like, hey, I want the best to come in. I've gone on a live like I'm going to enter. Make sure to enter, you know, and it never, never shows up. But I think the, I always had that idea, you know, but sometimes you want to be humble about stuff. But when um, Sam, the skunk man, sent me an email one time because he saw some pictures of some dry sift that my boy had given Bubble Man in Jamaica and he went and photographed it and he made some pictures and he, Sam, the skunk man saw it and he was like, how do you, you know, he sent me an email. He's like, yo, your, your dry sift is awesome, phenomenal. Like, you know, what, what yields are you getting? I can tell that you're not using static because of the purity, but I'd be thrilled to know what you're doing. And I was like, wow, you know, that's one real smart motherfucker went off rip. He's, he's been doing this shit for like 40 years, probably. And off rip, he already knows that that technique is impossible to get that purity. And I don't, I'm, I'm not argumentative on the internet. There's people that they're like, yeah, all he's doing is he's doing some static tech. Hey, yeah, sure, bro. That's what I'm doing. I just end up agreeing. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're right, man. Just fucking keep believing that. But yeah, he was like, I, you know, he said that I consider you to be the best in the world in an email. And we went back and forth. And to me, that was like, shit, solidified it, bro. Solidified it that what I was doing was different than what everybody else was doing. Well, yeah, somebody that's been at it that long. You know, and I mean, from what I've heard, he's a, a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Um, and so... He holds, like, a lot of the patents on cannabis, bro. Like, a lot of crazy shit. He's done a lot of crazy shit. And he can make dry sift at that period himself. From what I... So I can... To tell you the, the scalability of this shit, right? Like, scalability being that if you tried to take this process and you had to make fucking 5,000 grams, like, how long would it take? For me, busting my ass for, like, 12 hours... 
I can maybe make 200. And that's like, that's, that's a lot, but that's a, you know, if I had to make water hash in that amount of hours, I could just start stacking washers on washers on washers, more material. And I can maybe make like 1500 grams or 2000. Like it's a little different of the scaling. Well, from, you know, the tales that you hear, the technique that this man uses, he can refine a kilo. And these dudes are like European Canadian shit, you know? <laughs> so a kilo is what, like a thousand grams? Yeah, I think so. I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, well, he can refine a kilo in like 15 minutes. That's a lot. Yeah, that's incredible. That's mind boggling to me, to like me, there's type of shit that you like fucking hear and you're like, whoa, you know? That's to me the type of shit that like gets me fucked up because he's obviously doing something a lot different than me too, you know? Yeah, it's a different... Completely different thing. Different strategy or you know, different technique. No, I'm curious as to how much is in a kilo. I'm going to look that shit up real quick. Okay. Kilo to grams. Thousand, all right. Good, I yeah, don't feel too bad. Point. Yeah, so Skunkman, um, the only reason I, I know of him is just from hearing Bubble Man yeah. talk about him, on, you know, and he always talks about how one of his dry sifts, I guess, was like the best thing he ever yeah. had smoked or whatever. Have you ever seen or been able to try any of the sift? No, but he's invited me to his house and, you know, I, he wanted to inquire about what I did. And I was like, well, you know what? You've been fucking keeping the secret quite a long time too, bro. So how about... I'll go to your house sometime with like a, a hundred G's of sift. We'll smoke it all. And throughout this like fucking transcending dimensional high type of fucking smoking hash high, we can expose each other's secrets, bro. Like you tell me and I'll tell you, bro. But no, I haven't made it out there, you know, because I got a lot of responsibilities and stuff. Absolutely. And I know Bowman uh, respects the shit out of him because I know from what I've seen, you know, years ago, I'm sure he has stash that uh i know bubble man knows how to also refine to that purity you know and not using static he does something different but he does something different than me he's probably probably learned it from sam which is what he says he did but i've seen like uh he had a fucking sapphire quartz dish melt video one time that he made like some dry sift for the great gardener and when i saw it i was like oh this this guy knows how to do it too you know, yeah, you could just you, recognize it. The melt, yeah, the way it liquefied and, and the purity and, and the trend, the quality of the camera was like exposing. It would have revealed imperfections, you know, but it was perfect. So I haven't seen too much of his work since then, but I, I won't doubt that he could do it. Not going to get big headed about it because he's probably been doing it since before fucking, I mean, for sure, since before I smoked ash. Right. And then that shit fucking a lot longer than I have. Yeah, there's a, definitely like some pioneers you know and uh like mila out in, in amsterdam and yeah you know i don't really outside of skunk man sam i can't say that i've heard of somebody who's been interested in sifting because um, it's hard because yeah. it turns a lot of people away sifting is um i feel like there's a lot of misinformation on it a lot of what people try to do they're, they're already doing it completely not even in in the right fucking um direction of how to achieve the purity and they know what they want and they can't get there and it, it takes a lot of time and, and it's like a very dedicated thing man i mean if you could make crappy dry sift or make good water hash you know which one you'd pick you know right but it, it's still like an elusive concentrate i feel like as an extract there's nothing quite like it 
if you think about it, like a trichome starts on a plant, you got a fucking grow room full of, you know, stacked with weed. And then from that, it gets dried, broken down, keefed. And then you get that keef and you're like literally taking these little heads off, which is the only thing that has the cannabinoids and separating it and making a concentrate. And like that was in like, you know, covered on a plant at one right. point. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, just the whole process it takes to get to the refinement and the head still being intact and being like how they were on the plant. And that being the whole emphasis of the extract, you know, because there's extracts like water hash when you microplane, it ends up shredding the heads Yeah. or oil. You're dissolving the cannabinoids out of the heads. Right. And there's a lot of it is like destroying what, destroying the trichome in essence. Yeah. So dry sift is, I think, all about preserving the trichome while still achieving that quality. Yeah, because in the water, I'm assuming there's, there's definitely a loss of, of terpenes of some type. Um, yeah, the water solubles. So, the, like I told you before, with dry sift, there's um, it's like a pure taste. Once you start smoking a lot of dry sift and you have like the, the luxury of also, let's say you have your own grow, you got dry sift and you start washing, you'll notice some differences. And uh, fuck, I lost my train of thought too. <laughs> See that happens. I'm getting high. But uh, fuck, what were you we talking about? About the dry sift? Yeah, we're talking about some dry sift. Yeah. Fuck, that's crazy. Yeah. That's that mastery. Yeah, so we're trying some of the Harvest Moon Master Fish. Yeah. And now I really want to know what the fuck I was talking about. But you anyways, um, yeah, so just trying trying to fucking, I don't know. But yeah, nowadays, man, it's hard to, in recreational, hard to scale dry sift. There hasn't been a method of producing it that comes close to what I consider to be dry sift. I only consider dry sift to be 99%. At that, any, a 98 maybe is dry sift too, but at, at certain points, it's just Keith. But to, to have like a machine that like can do this shit automatically, Tony Verzura talked to me about it. He said he has something. And I was like, yeah. It's like, it's making, it's making dry sift. He's like, yeah. It's like, it's pure. He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, but is it 99, bro? He's like, yeah. Like, all right. Show me something. Let me show you something. Let's see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, show me and let me see if it's really 90 angles. Uh, it's more like 98. I'm like, all right, but that's still good as fuck. Damn, if I can only start refining at 98, I'd be doing for sure some. So they're getting 98 on automation already? Well, I, I haven't really seen it. It could just be some talk, you know. But being that, that it takes so much hands-on and the way price structures work in like recreational market, for example, let's say to sell something for $100 a gram, I had... I was able to before say, hey, I'm going to sell it to you for 80 and get 20. And a lot of people were like, fuck you. Some people are like, all right, cool. I want to have your shit. Right. Now, bro, it's like a businessman. And they'll be like, we'll take it for $33 and sell it for 100. And it's like, nah. Like, all right, then we'll buy something else, bro. Like the people, we don't care. You right. Know? So to like make a hand, like a super high quality, very time consuming concentrate, and get like $33 per gram. Just not. I know it sounds kind of asshole, like, yeah, $33, but the reality is the amount of time and like, just like, it's so hard. You got to think about how many people do this in the world to that level to get it like hoard out to $33. And I don't want to like take advantage of patients either. Right. You know, that should go out to some price people can't afford. Yeah. And um, bro, for a long time, that happened for years. I stopped selling to stores because I would sell to them at a certain price. 
And this is when medical, when you could do all sorts of uh, uh, reselling or whatever. And then they'll be like, oh, Cuban doesn't want to sell to me because he says he only wants to work with you. But can you sell me this? And, and they'll buy like two O's and, and they'll mark it up $120 or they'll mark it up $20. And then what they'll do in their head is like, yeah, we're going to start selling this for $240. Yeah, I know, you know, a lot of people were like talking about how the prices are kind of, kind of crazy and stuff. And so you just basically stopped. Yeah, I stopped selling to stores and would just sell directly to to patients. At events we, or... Yeah, well, we could. And uh, you can't do it anymore. Yeah. But at that point, yeah, I was like, you know, we both got to get ours somehow. You guys need to be able to get it at a good PR. Right. Where you're not getting, like, you know, fucked by the stores. And this shit takes a lot to make. So I need to also continue, you know, the training moving forward. But that burned a lot of bridges for me, bro, because I, I went to a store... One time I was like uh, in town and shit. And the dude was like, yeah, it was like one of my connects. He's like, yeah, come through. So it, it was almost like I got boxed into this shit. And he's like, yeah, man. So why would I ever like, you know, fuck with you? If what you're doing is going and selling it to the same people that would have came here and buying it for like the same price you give it to me. And I was like, dog, I don't give a shit. Like you or them. It's like, there's no distinction. Like, this is what I want. Right. He's like, no, not what I think is that now your shit's worth 50 or whatever and I was like nah it's not bro he's like yeah because if you think about it for me to be able to give it to them at 100 it used to be that for, I was like then you're just not getting it bro I told him like that I was like I grabbed my shit I was like I'm out and I had to make like you know I, I think it, it affected me when I was getting like comments like damn Cuban I've always been a big fan I went to the store and I saw the price and I can't even like afford it you know it, like made me feel bad that I want to smoke a shit and I can't right and I was like, damn, that shit sucks. Yeah. So it was like an internal conflict. Like, man, like, it's cool that like, wow, that shit got there. But it really hurts that these people can't like afford it. And it's because it's like getting to a price is like stupid money. Right. Well, and they feel like it's like you doing it, but it's not really. It's not. Yeah. And, you know, you're charging what you need to charge for it. And, you know. In the end, that's part of what I really respect about what you do is that it really is like art. You know, it's like a it's a very artisanal thing. Like you were saying earlier, even with the washing, it's a very physical thing. Yeah. Well, washing is a lot easier to scale, I feel like. But with a team, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But when you start washing, you're like a dime a dozen. There's everyone's washing. Yeah. There are a lot of people now, especially I think what facilitated that is almost a I don't know, the freeze dryers, I fear, are, are kind of a big big time, big thing, you know, because before that, just the logistics of like drying hash, I think was just a lot more complicated and more time consuming, like you said earlier, sometimes even letting the resin kind of grease up and stuff. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your love for your dogs oh, yeah. and the type of dogs that they are. And I, I don't know much about them, but... I know both you and your wife are big dog lovers. Yeah. So my son is autistic. He's seven. But when he was young, my best friend had a pit bull. And I didn't have dogs because, you know, just didn't. I guess my family wasn't about having dogs inside the house and stuff. And my boy was, though. He always had the dog inside the house. And when I would, um, he would bring him over and him and my son would like vibe. And my son had a lot of, he was 
he was always kind of like, you know, stressed out and stuff from his fine motor skills weren't there and stuff. So to see him like laughing and stuff with the dog was uh, powerful. And I also lived in the woods. I was a city kid. I felt in a sense like, man, I, I want like, a, I don't have a lot of friends and shit. Like maybe a dog would be cool to have. Like I, it would give me a responsibility and shit. So I ended up getting a rescue dog. I fucking, um, this dog was, you still have him to this day, but he was nine months old and he was like uh, stuck in a kennel, like the majority of his That's puppy awesome. life. Yeah. yeah. Because um, this lady had asked the breeder like, oh, please, I want the dog. And he was like the last pick and she, he gave it to her for free. Okay. They ended up losing the house they were living in and they moved into like a room in this um, Indian reservation in Washington. And then the dog, she had three kids. A husband and her and this dog, a young pit bull in a kennel in a room. Yeah, that's so tough. the dog looked insane, bro. He was, uh, I put him on a leash and it looked like he was about trying to choke himself to death. And uh, my wife looks at me and she's like, are you sure you want to take this dog? He looks a little crazy. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'm going to take this dog. I'm going to make sure he lives a good life. And he did, man. And, and he was very knucklehead dog. But in the end of the day, he just needed time and love. He was, you know, good. But I didn't want a rescue dog again, man. Like, God bless people that go and get rescue dogs, but that dog had a lot of problems, man. And it was a lot of like, I felt like stuff I had to overcome. And I thought a puppy would be a fresh slate. So when I started looking for a puppy, a buddy of mine was selling dogs and I came into my second dog. And this puppy was, as she grew up, she's a hundred pounds now, but she grew up with my son and they would like, she would use her as a pillow and they sleep together until he got so big that he couldn't fit with her in the bed and he, he didn't like it anymore. But <laughs> it became like his companion. And at a high times, I met a good friend of mine. His name is Robert Lee. And Robert Lee is, or I met Nubs and then I met Robert. But both of them, they're brothers that are really into cannabis. They go to the high times and stuff. But, and what they do is that they are the best in the American bully breed when it comes to showing the dogs and breeding. They're like the best in the breed. Okay. And I remember when I first met them, I was with X's boy. I think his name is Jacques. We were at the Chalice. It was 2015 Chalice. And this dude, he fucking like stops. He's like, damn, look at that dog. And I look and I was like, I was like, that. I was like, why are you tripping out about that dog? But he looked cool. It was like the short muscular dog. His name was the bus. He goes, that's bus, bro. I was like, yeah. I was like, you know these guys? He's like, yeah. That's like the Cuban grower of the dog world, bro. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I went up to him and I was like, what's up? You know, we started talking and shit. I started looking at the dog and the dog looked like everything I had ever wanted type of, of shit. He was short, big head, muscular, very kind, but like he looked like impressive. And I was like, damn. So throughout the years, you know, I go to the high times and we link up, hook him up with some hash and shit. And as my second dog was getting uh, maturing, my female, I wanted to breed her. But in my head, I was like, yeah, I want to breed him. I want to get a dog that looks like Bus in my head. And when we sat down and stuff, I was like, hey, man, I want to do a breeding. I want to breed with, he has a dog that has 82 awards. He's like undefeated. His name is Gastro. Yeah, beyond, bro. He's like a grand champion, but best of breed, top dog, everything. He's like very decorated. And what type of dogs are these? American Bully. Okay. So I started with a pit bull. And my second dog was like, it's like a pit bull too. And I, I met him up and I'm like, yeah, man. So I have this great dog and I want a breeder. And he looks at me and he goes, that's a big dog, bro. I was like, yeah, but I want a pocket dog. What's up? Can I, if we use a pocket dog to have? 
He's like, dude, this dog is like 10 generations behind to try to make this. And I felt offended. I was like, man, my poor fucking, I call her corn. I was like, my poor corn. How are you going <laughs> to say that about her? So and then he, he like broke it down. He was like, look, man, what you need is like a good foundation. You need a female that is like, so then when you breed, you get kind of like the results you're expecting. So he showed me a dog and I fell in love with her. She was so kind. She was a, a young, young dog, a little over a year. Okay. And it really like got me into the American bully. So the difference between an American bully and a pit bull is everything. I mean, the temperament, a pit bull is very outgoing. It wants to get walked 10 times a day. You could toss a ball until it literally will die of exhaustion because it doesn't know how to stop. You know, it's not so much a chill dog. It is, but it's not. You know, you, if you have a pit bull in a house, it's going to rip your house it's up. It's like a you hyper, yeah, you know, energetic and it, dog. Yeah, and it, it takes its, it gets like frustrated and takes it out on stuff. You might rip your shoe. God knows, you know. Right. The American Bully is a companion breed. So it's not a game breed. It's a dog that will be happy walking on a leash. It, it, it will do athletic things too. You know what I mean? Like any other dog. But it, it's down to chill too. And it'll still look tough. And it has a different frame than a pit bull. Pit bull is a dog designed for hunting or like game type of things like that, like a working dog. And an American Bully is a dog with a beautiful structure, but it's a lot more compact, blocky, muscular. So I did a cone with Robert Lee and throughout that cone, what that means, a cone is that we both own the dog, come up to a conditions on a contract. And in that cone, he basically taught me like almost everything that I know, man, like about properly breeding a dog, how to raise puppies, how to, you know, certain training things. I have a question. I can always talk to him. And um, it made me, it made me like a dog man. Like I literally, instead of like going to a grow room and, and like doing my thing or whatever, like I, I did. Now it's a lot of tending to my dogs, training my dogs, a lot of disobedience training, just a lot of maintaining them because they need a lot of, a, a lot of attention. And um, how many do you have now? Six, six. So that, uh, juice box was my third and throughout that colon we uh, bred and I didn't want to sell dogs at first. I wanted to, I started getting this idea of like, man, I want to get a foundation going. Cause like, you know, the, the, every, the only positive thing in my, in my life at that point was like family, of course, number one. And then like my dogs and this thing, like the transition into the dogs happened after wreck. So things were like, you know, what brought me joy and happiness was not bringing me that joy and happiness anymore, which was like the cannabis industry. It just started making me feel in a negative way. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, letdown and then things not going how I wanted. But with the dogs, I felt like things were going how I wanted. They brought me a lot of joy. It was like the complete opposite, like an abstract of what the cannabis community, not community, the industry had become to me. Right. Because the know, community, I think you The community is great. Yeah. yeah. But it's just being able to be in the, in the marketplace and do what I want to do as an individual, the regulations and stuff. Yeah, it, it really took the fun out of it. And with the dogs, I still had a lot of fun. It was still exciting to this day, you know, uh, do stuff with my dogs and, and they, they bring me joy. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, and like you said, you know, like your son brings me joy and obviously to your wife as well. Yeah. So, you know. That, yeah, but you can't awesome. have six dogs in the house. So now, <laughs> no. we, now we, we do it a little more structured. My son still loves the dogs, but the puppies are a little rambunctious sometimes. And uh, I consider a puppy until like, about a year, year and a half when they start to mature. Okay. And sometimes they don't understand so much. 
they want to play, you know. Yeah. And uh, since my son gets a little overwhelmed sometimes, he's the chill. So he's not as involved with the smaller dogs, but with the other ones, yeah, they're very well trained. The older ones that are just more relaxed. Yeah, yeah. So I, I use a lot of that like relationship between my son and the dogs to use that as a basis for the training, as for the discipline for the dogs, so they don't try to jump on them. So if something happens, like he tries to go to the door or something, they'll follow him. So I thought that was, you know, just powerful how you can have such a, a good bond between a special needs human and or a boy, a child and uh, a dog. Yeah. Like it, it was just powerful. Yeah. And um, they're, they're very emotional creatures, very smart. I feel like my dogs speak English for sure. Maybe they don't speak it, but they definitely understand, understand what I'm saying. what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, they're not about that bullshit. Besides the dogs, I love race cars too. Do a lot of drifting. I have uh, cars that I built myself. I'm a, you know, like to wrench on my own shit ever since I was a kid. My dad's a mechanic. My grandfather's a mechanic. But I used to do a lot of stuff in the street, and I lost my license for a long time. And then... Um, this is in Florida? Yeah, but carried over to Washington. I was like, you know, driving without a license and shit. Through making money, I was able to settle a lot of legal shit with my license. I got it back. I was building a race car and I had bought a fucking uh, car to drive around. And it was a real wheel drive car. And I was like, me and my boy fucking took it out late at night. And in the rain, we're fucking drifting, fucking shit up. And I had drifted a lot in, in Florida. So to me, I was like, yeah, I love this. It was in, in this crazy fucking parking lot and we were like drifting around those big light poles and in between medians and shit just uh-huh. crazy shit and bro like I fucking I'm like drifting this way and I look and I see a fucking cop bro and I'm like whoa so I just kind of like Arr! like so, you know and the dude turns on his lights and he comes up to me he's like you know whatever ask for me for my shit yeah and he goes man didn't you just get your license I was like yeah he goes what the fuck are you doing here and I was like, man, this like I just got this car, and it's like, you know, it's just my first time and shit. I want to take it out? I know it's, I'm an idiot, dog. My wife's gonna kill me. He's like, does it look like this is your first time, man? I was watching you for like 15 minutes, <laughs> and I was like, nah, I used to do this shit, you know. That's why I lost my license. And uh, he was, he fucking wrote me a ticket, and uh, man, I fucking uh, was so like disappointed in myself. I tried to call an attorney, and the attorney's like, man, we don't see this ticket in the system. You might want to wait, and he never wrote it in, bro. That's, I mean, it's like he, he gave you the pass, but he didn't let you know, you know? He so. didn't let me know. But at that time I had told my boy, I was like, man, I started researching. I had, was building a Corolla to drift. And I was like, dude, we're going to go to the racetrack. Like, you know, he had a car too. And to me, I guess I had this idea in my head that the racetrack, I was like, all oh, the dudes that really knew what they were doing. And I was going to, I was going to look, feel like stupid or whatever. But now some of the best bonds, uh, like friendships I had built were at the racetrack because at the racetrack, I didn't tell anybody I was Cuban grower. Right. To them, I was, you know, Aussie. Yeah. And I had fireweed and I had, you know, my whip and they liked it. And we fucking would go shred and smoke weed. And it was cool. Yeah, it, was those, like the, it was like your thing, you know, yeah, with the cars. It, was those, no. it, get, it made my, my lady cause it getting in the zone. Like I, I would do it and I would like forget about all my troubles. At that time when I was at the racetrack, I didn't think about anything else other than going 50 sideways through whatever part of the track, you know what I mean? And hopefully not smashing my shit like, to the next guy. <laughs> I don't know much about it, but so like, what's the, I guess, how do you do it? Or So drifting, you need a real wheel drive car. So you burn the rear tires and it's kind of like 
going really fast and doing a burnout, okay. but going sideways and All just right. like steering through a track sideways. And yeah, so drifting. Or, drifting, yeah, 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 yeah. So the tracks usually got different layouts or, or you'll do like what's called tandem. So when you're drifting, either chasing or leading another car, shit, I've been in tandems that are like 11 cars and that shit is like a thrill, you know? So I, I really like that. It's just, it's pretty expensive, bro. You know, the cost of tires and shit. And yeah, just like, imagine. like I was telling you with the whole wreck transitions and stuff, you got to budget a lot more. And one part of my budget that took a big hit was the race car. So they end up sitting in the garage. The year before last, I probably went out over 10 times to the track. And every time you got to get a trailer, tires, go. And it's like, you know, fun. Last year, I think I only went like three times. Yeah, you know, that's that's a big one from ten to three, and then like, yeah. what if you just ideally could go as much as you wanted? How much would you be there? Shit, all the time, bro. <laughs> I used to go almost every other weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful because it was like forty minutes away, and um, it was like my time to unwind. I think in life you got to do things that that are like hobbies, things that um, that you do like as an individual that gives you purpose and shit that gives you like you know whatever. And to me, it was, it was like the drifting for sure. Yeah. It's good to have that time. Like you said, to essentially uh, just be present and like do what you're doing and not, not think about anything else. Um, it's crazy. Like even in different States in Washington, like I told you, I, I'd show people and smoke when I went to Oregon and you know, I'd like roll up a blunt inside the car and sometimes the lines were really long, you know, I'd be like just puffing and shit. People would be like, hey, man, yeah, I don't want to tandem with you if you're smoking weed, bro. I'm like, what the fuck does that one thing have to do with the other, dog? Right. And it was weird. Like, Oregon's cool, but it was a little weird when it came to that. And in Cali, bro, I don't think they really give a fuck. I think I learned from Oregon not to fucking be shot out about it. Right. Because in Oregon, man, it's... It's weird. They don't like it like that all day. Like we, the we people do, I'm sure, but just want to keep it separate almost, or like you yeah. do your thing separately, and then we'll do the car thing. Uh, yeah. Because another example in Oregon, I have a street car because I, I got tired of only having a race car. I was badass, but I couldn't drive it in the street. Okay. So I, I built myself a comfortable car that was also fast, and I would go to like the meetups and shit. You'd find them on Facebook, and it was like a bunch of people with cars and shit. You get to like. Just be yourself for a little while, you yeah. know? But being myself is like, I'm rolling in, smoking a blunt. I got a blunt in my ear. <laughs> and, you know, like, I'm going to park it. I'm going to be cool and shit. I'm not trying to, like, blow smoke in your face or nothing. But, like, right. you know, I'm going to be smoking. And one of those, man, I go to the, the Facebook and there was, like, a thread about some people leaving some trash. It was, like, not, not related to me. But then another guy was like, oh, all the drug use and this and that. And I was like, oh, I don't know what drug use, man. I'm just, you know, I'm just fucking smoking some weed. Right. He's like, no, nah, yeah, you particularly like going in with that fast car. And it's like, you know, you're like you're fucking high, dude. Like, can't you do that shit after? Like, what do you, I don't, what if you like hit somebody or something, man? Like, I don't know, man. Next time that you go there and you're smoking weed, I'm just going to flag down the cops. And I was like, what? Like, man, you can't respect my weed smoking. I'm just not hanging out with you guys, bro. And I thought, at first I thought I was like, I was like, man, you're a fucking square, bro. But more and more people were like going in there. Started adding on. Yeah. Like I was like a fucking danger to the streets (laughs) because I was smoking no blood. And I guess like you can look at it that way. Maybe 
And Washington, you said, was very different. Man, Washington, no one ever gave a fuck about that, bro. Especially at, at the with race car related shit. They got the track. Where there's people drinking beer, smoking weed. They didn't give a fuck. They're just out there to shred and shit. It was like skateboarding, you know? But um, Oregon was different. Like you said, it's a lot of extremes in, like, you know, in the crowds out there. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I think it's spotty about how different regions have maybe different uh, ideas about things, you know? So, in Oregon. I'm sure other places are, are a little weird, man. Yeah. I mean, SoCal's weird too. Is it? Yeah. One time I walked into a dispensary smoking a blunt and I was about to like make a, uh, like a meeting. Uh huh. And they, the security guard like straight fucking kicked me out, bro. Like as soon as I walked through the door. Immediately. Yeah. Treating me like shit. Like, like I was an idiot, bro. And I was, I took it real personal because in Washington, no one ever, you could, if you were making a drop and you knew the dude and everything was cool, like if you're smoking a blunt, you're smoking a blunt. But I guess in, SoCal, you can't do that shit, bro. Shut your shit down. Yeah, they seem to be a lot kind of stricter down there. Yeah, probably all of Cali. Then I never yeah. walked in into a dispensary with a blood in my mouth ever again. <laughs> so I You're like, what, once is enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about Florida earlier, and I didn't know this up until today. I know that you guys knew each other, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Aldagi. Oh, yeah. And uh, you guys... I guess you say kind of like grew up together, known each other for a while. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Daggy's my best friend. He's a fucking savage for sure. We grew up in a small town called Hialeah. It's not really small, but um, it, it's in Miami-Dade County. It's known for having the fire creepy. It's a, you know, it's a nice culture out there. And Danny lived in, the, in like the blocks where my group of friends were at. Yeah, and we had similar likes. Like, he liked to skateboard, and then he started fucking playing uh, Street Fighter and shit, and we just vibed. And then that friendship just, it, he, um, from fucking, I don't know, just chilling in the streets to becoming friends when you're an adult. When I lived in Washington, I had a good uh, investor as a partner, and we had a, you know, operation, and in one of those facilities, they had this guy that, you know, when I would walk in there, I'd be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> so my partner asked me for my opinion and I was honest with it, you know, and the dude was fucking gone, but they needed, somebody needed to fill a spot. Okay. And man, as you can imagine, when you have a bad experience with somebody the first time, you're probably real strict about who you're going to put in there. And I was like, man, I, I got this friend because I used to, bro, also Danny, as, as we were fucking in our early 20s, I had a cell phone business and I hired Danny and he was like, you know, on point computer. I hired Danny and he was like, you know, I can always rely on Danny. He can learn stuff. And uh, he had good work ethic. So I told my boy, I was like, man, look, man, I know you got like these master growers and shit, but I know this sounds crazy too, man, because this guy, he was like a rich guy. He's old, man. So I'm telling him some shit. And I was like, look, I know this guy. And he doesn't know how to grow. But if I bring him, I bet I could do it. Ozzy, are you telling me that you want to bring someone that has no experience when I have this master grower ready to move in? I'm like, hey, man, don't fucking move in that master grower. And, man, I, I remember I was, like, talking to Danny. And um, I was like, look, man, would you be down to fucking come and shit? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, bro. It must have been through, like, prayer or something. That I was like, please make this man like you know like change his mind dude so 
bro, he, my partner called me. He's like, can you get uh, Danny on the phone so we could talk? And I was like, yeah, got him on the phone and they fucking vibe, bro. Like off a rip, they just fucking vibed. And, um, you know, Danny ended up packing his shit with his lady and his dog and moving out. And, uh, man, couldn't have been a, a better move, bro. Honestly, because he was everything that I imagined that he was going to be like a great, a great fucking friend and became my best friend. Great grower because everything he would apply, he would never say like not say no, but in the sense of like it, he wouldn't deviate from the plan and it ensured success. When we started making hash together, we learned together. And um, like I told you earlier, man, El Daggy, while I was there, you know, when I was making my first dry sift entry, El Daggy knew how to do dry sift because I taught him how to make dry sift. He's my best friend. I wasn't, you know. So instead, he gave me the, like, the fucking, I don't know, bro. It was like it, I was able to blow up my account. I was able to go to the high times and enter. I told him, I was like, man, you know, I don't want to compete against my fucking best friend, you know? Right. Like, I think that would be pretty fucked if, like, you're competing with me with, like, the shit that we learned together. And then, like, you know, I was like, you got to be, like, willing to realize that it's a whole effort, you know? So when I would go out of town and I had, like, my location that I was responsible for, Danny would watch my spot make sure my fucking garden was still booming while I went and we were winning more awards. During that time, people would hit him up, like cookies and shit in Washington. Like, oh, I think that you can make hash and beat Cuban grower. Why don't we do an entry together? And then he will tell me like, man, this bitch is trying to make me make an entry with her. Right. And I'd be like, dog, don't fucking do that. And he's like, no, nah, I already told her no, nah, bro, you know? So in like, you know, I, I told him, Man, because in the end of the day, his account has then it's blowing up because shit, he makes fire, you know, people are finding him. But it really could have been him, bro. He could have been fucking, uh, it could have been El Daggy, bro, uh, instead of Cuban Grower. It could have gone any any way. And I big him up for that a lot. I let, I let him know, you know, and that I fucking got a lot of respect for that. Yeah, like I said earlier, I don't think, uh, you know, loyalty isn't an easy thing to, to find in this world, you know? And yeah. so that's... It's cool that you guys have that relationship and that, you know, it never became to a point where you guys were were competing. No. But you said that, was it recently that you, you finally collaborated? And yeah. So he was doing some work and um, I was like, man, you know, because he had a group of guys that wanted to do something with him. It was Rosin Brothers. And Rosin Brothers at the time, they were like real hungry. They wanted to win. And they wanted to do something with... Danny and they press his stuff and enter it together as a collab. And I was like, man, you know, like, why the fuck are you going to do that with them? We could just do that shit together. You know what I mean? Like, let's fucking do it together. And then I bet you that when you do something with good energy and it, it's like, you know, like that versus like, oh, you're going to go up against your boy because these dudes are like hungry and, and whatever. So, of course, he, he, he fucking aligned himself with the right person. We went in and um, Rosenberg didn't enter that competition at the time. I think, I don't know why, you know, maybe because we entered it and they wanted to do that like strawberry thing exclusive. I don't know. Could It could have been that they just didn't want to. But we ended up getting second place. We lost to Ati. Which Ati, you know, respect the fucking make fire hash. 
But yeah, I got him a second place, which is cool. I, I thought that was dope. From now on, I, I retired from competing in high times. With that, with that win, I retired. And that was this year? Last year? Last year. I got first place with the strawberry as a, a rosin. We did the first wash 90 and pressed it and made like a, such a white rosin that they thought it was like a THCA repress, but it wasn't. It was good. And then we got the second place with the same technique. And then at that point, I just, I don't know. I wasn't feeling it anymore. Everything was changing. The playing field was le was kind of limited and that only licensed companies could then enter. And also it got to the point that I felt like I really didn't have nothing else left to prove in that sense. Like I was just throwing away a lot of money and it wasn't getting me exactly what, it wasn't getting me anywhere really because like, for example, I think that with like 25 awards that you, you'd be fucking people like knocking on your door, like, yo, I need to build you this spot. We got a partner, like some great shit, you know? And for a little while I was getting decent deals, but, um, Hey, you know, I live a modest life and shit, but I'm also suffering from not having a good partnership in the sense that like, that's something that I, I feel is worth it. And seeing that the awards and the, the amount of money that has been spent in the, the resin and everything didn't like really that investment in time didn't, was it fruitful? Right. It makes me feel like it's, it, you know, damn, if only I saved that money, bro. Yeah. I mean, fuck, I would have gone to a lot of vacations. <laughs> Like you said earlier, you know, it was like, I don't remember exactly how much it was with a couple of thousand and then all the product you have to. 28 grams. And, uh, and so when I went to Eagle Clash and it, it was 20 gram jar, but it was in one jar and no, you don't put no money and you sit down and it was like a huge area full of hash makers and stuff. And they pass the jar and you fucking, um, you get a dab and you like smoking, you write what you think and shit. When the jar comes back, you put it away and you get it at the end. So when I got my jar, it's 20 grams and I got it back. There was like 14, 15 grams, bro, left. Yeah, that's a good amount. Yeah. And I did it. So think about this. If in other competitions, they need 28 grams and let's say like high times has like four to five judges and they get two grams each, right? That's like. The rest of it goes towards rappers, the rest of it goes towards a bunch of shit. A bunch of shit that has nothing to do with that competition. So that really opened my eyes. I think they got upset that I said that because I got DM'd about it. But, um, well, I mean, you know, if that's. It was like proof in the pudding right in front of my eyes. There was like 30 fucking people that grabbed the dab out of a jar and it was only six grams gone. Yeah, that's not a lot. I mean, that's, that's a decent amount of people compared to five to 10 or whatever. Yeah. Maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I've heard that it's it's pretty expensive and that it's almost like you got to have like a team of people to be able to like pull it together. And uh, I don't know if you need a team because look at my first one. I yeah, didn't even true. have a booth. I, I will, that was like, you know, grassroots as fuck right there. And, you know, it was just fire. You know? Yeah. So and the one that I got first place in last year, they didn't even have a booth. I was backpacking with my lady and my dog on a leash. And I took my dog on stage. Yeah, I, I've seen that on, on your wife's speech, uh, yeah. your speech, and it's funny that, you, you know, you brought up what we talked about earlier about the the hash needing its own kind of category outside of the rosin. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is the, the strawberry kush that you, you have. Obviously, that's been what you've been growing lately. 
and for a you've couple had years it for a now. while now though. Yeah. So I, I lost the cut when I moved from Washington because one of Danny's garden hands, like the fucking tags fell off of two plants and he just went, put it on whatever, didn't say nothing. So we killed the strawberry and, and cloned a bunch of bubba. That shit was heartbreaking. But yeah, that strawberry, man, I got it from a, a dude out in Washington. I'll leave his name out because if not, then you know how the fucking vultures are. They're still <laughs> all hitting him up. But this guy was a local forum dude and he had all the fire cuts. Like he was known for cuts. And one time I like hit him up and shit and he invited me to his house. And he had a lot of good stuff, man. Like, man, that guy changed my life, bro. And he was selling this shit like $10 a cut, bro. Oh. Changed my life straight up. My packs went from like 2200 to 32 on like forum and shit. And a lot of the stuff washed. But he had one cut he was known for. And he called it strawberry cough. So I was like, yo, so the strawberry that I hear a lot about. He's like, nah, it's not available. I'm like, done. Come on, dog. Like, you know, he's like, no, I was like, man, please, man. You know, I just started. I (laughs) I was like, fuck it. You know, I started almost like literally begging the guy and shit. And and he gave it to me. So I was super happy. I didn't know what I was getting. I never really smoked it. Grow this thing. And I'm like, this is not a cough. This fucker looks like a cush. I don't know. You know, I'm just going to call this shit strawberry cush because they had blacked out the leaves and it looked like the fucking resin looked like Velcro. The weed just had this gassy strawberry smell to it. And it wasn't, I dried it, right? And it wasn't until I sifted it that I saw that. One, it had good yields. And the fucking smell of this thing was like explosive. So we ended up like, yo, it's time to throw a couple more lights at this fucker. But this time, let's wash it. And that was even more exceptional. Like, the, it would grease. It was like beautiful six star and it was all from this one cut though yeah same cut so like i told you i lost it after we moved and i had to go on a trek back to washington to get it and at the at then he was like um i hit him up i was like hey what's up broken you know whatever he's like yeah man come on by and he's like yeah man the strawberry kush and i was like oh. <laughs> i was like you're calling it strawberry kush now he goes yeah i like that name better bro because you know i didn't think it was a cough either and I was like, what? I was like, bro, where'd you even get this thing? Like, I, I fucking, you're telling me you made the name up? He's like, yeah, man, you know, like in the 90s, the church I went to or whatever, I was like helping this lady out and I was a contractor and she needed some like some general work done and shit. And I'm like in her backyard and she had like some of this suspicious fool over here. Keep on going, buddy. So, uh, yeah, we're sitting in the front porch, people creeping. So he was like, yeah. She had like this little fucking vegetable patch and shit, like in between all the fucking vegetables. There's like a weed plant here and there and shit. Yeah. And I asked her about it and I was like, look, I grow two. And they became better friends, imagine, you know? They both had a little secret. <laughs> and uh, she gave him a bunch of, of cuttings before the, the shit started flowering. And out of all those cuttings, the only good one was the strawberry. But she didn't really know where it came from. She got it like from some seeds and shit that weren't like branded it's just some washington shit going on who knows yeah but yeah it's just old real old so i always believed in it because i at the time there was like strawberry banana but when you have a strain that really smells like strawberry and then you smell strawberry banana strawberry banana smells more like a fruit cocktail or like some are really banana dominant and they're not strawberry though it's not there yeah the strawberry profiles are not are not common. Like you hear a lot of stuff called strawberry or I have in the past, you know, but yeah. 
very little of it has like a strawberry real smell to it. And today yeah. I smell this. Is this just strawberry? Yeah, this is, this is strawberry batter. And the batter, this is made from the dry sift. Huh? Yeah, that we press into rosin. So that was like 70 day or 77. I don't remember. I had to ask my boy, but shit's explosive with the turps. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a really, really, really strong, like funky smell. But the strawberry is definitely there. You yeah, know? on fresh frozen, it's a lot more pronounced. Oh, and I, I remember what we, were gonna, what we were talking about when I lost my train of thought. Earlier? Yeah, it was the water-soluble turps. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 you're right. Just hit me. But with the fresh fro, the strawberry doesn't have a lot of water-soluble terpenes, so the smell that goes in is what comes out. Right. Some strains, you put something in and it smells good. The smell's in the wash water when you do your first pull. I used to just drain my water to waste and refill. And then after like the second pool, the hash would start, stop smelling. There wasn't a lot of smell in the water. Okay. And the hash would be kind of mute. Or you'll have strains that have like a, a weird funky smell. And when you wash them, that funky smell goes on. It's like, you know, tropical goodness or something. Just a different profile. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But the strawberry wasn't affected by that. The strawberry, whatever its water soluble terpenes were, were not what I was smelling. So it was a, a plant that always delivered a consistent experience in the sense of like when you smell the oil, the, the first thing that will come to your mind is like, oh, it smells like strawberries. Yeah. You know, so it, it looked pretty and, and it melted good and, and it had like a really crazy strong high. Well, like you told me that, that you took a dab and it had you going. Yeah, it was strong, man. I mean, for sure. I never tried it before. Yeah, it's some good shit. I like it. And so, but now you have it and it's part of your, your yeah. lineup for sure. Yeah, I want to breed with it. So there's a lot of, of breeders out there. You know, I, I realized that the reason that X had success with hash is because he was breeding for like frost. He wasn't making hash at the time, but he wanted weed that when you broke it up, he fell from the granite. A lot of weed nowadays is, is like sticky, like the cookies. They don't drop a lot of like keef when you break it up and you try to roll up like a, a wood, you'll rip the fucking paper or the, the tobacco because it's so greasy. And that doesn't lend itself too good to hash making. But over the years, the collection of strains that I've collected are sandier resin that can wash fresh frozen. And I feel like collected like a nice variety of plants that are worth breeding. They're worth trying to like hit with that greasy strain to see if you can bring that resin profile that's favorable, even if it's one coat, one selection that gives you you know, I don't know, like a cookie strawberry or like a cam strawberry or something that, that would be a little harder to wash, but have the favorable resin profile of the strains. Like that, the texture, bring the, that yeah. kind of sandiness to it. Yeah, because that also provides an ease in, in washing. Right. You know? And that's what I, you know, from the people that I've talked to, the main thing I keep hearing is like, it's all about the phenol. It's all about finding the, the right phenol to do what you, what you need to, in, in this case, to wash it, you know? And I did it take you a while to figure that out? Or because I think obviously now, like you were saying, you have a, a good collection that you're able to work with, but how long did that take to get to that point? Years, years, bro. I started noticing that there was a difference in texture immediately, washing. I had a strain that we called something special that we got as a, as some other shit from this lady named Cherie, but 
she it wasn't whatever that she put on there, bro. Because when this thing was growing, it had like this, like a, a raspberry kind of sort like a blue candy. Okay. And it was like really pretty, fucking pretty looking weed. And when you would uh, wash it, bro, even at 50 degrees, 45 degrees, it would grease in the bag wet. And I've broken like water hash bags trying to like, like, come on, there's like three grams stuck to this <laughs> shit, you know? And you try to get the last little piece. And I realized that I hated washing that shit. Although it had an awesome mill and it was like, wow. But like that type of stuff was like, man, I'm breaking my fucking 90 microns working on this. So dry sifting, I realized too that dry sifting something greasy is like impossible. My boy gave me some Skittles just recently. He's like, man, I want you to, to fucking do something with this. And I'm like, dude, I don't think this strain does anything like for dry sifting. It maybe melts, but like it will wash. He's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just fucking, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I'm like, all right. Experiment. So I tried to dehydrate this shit. It's still sticky. I stuck it in the fucking cryo freezer, like a hundred and something degrees. And it was crunchy. I get like a, a, a fucking QP and I put it over the screens. I crunch it. As soon as it goes over freezing, it's like sticking. I look at, at my gloves and shit and they're all fucking greasy. When I lift the screen and the next screen is like where the resin falls and I, I put like a 120 so it goes below that, you know, so I can get out more shit. Bro, as soon as I like tried to like move that resin around, they had become a fucking patty of shit. Just on the screen. Like some shit that fused together and it, <laughs> and it was never going to be a trichome error again. And when I lift the other screen to look at the screen I, I typically work on, yeah. there wasn't a single trichome that fell and down there. all got stuck up there. Huh? Yeah, like it greased. So I realized that, you know, that type of strains, they didn't work for me. And I had strains that were dry, that they were dry, that I could like touch them when they were on the plant and I would see a certain resin as opposed to just like a sticky smear when I would wash it the way that it would be like resistant to greasing or wouldn't grease in the bag and when it was dried and cured the fact that I can like handle it and refine it because at the time we didn't have like super cold rooms so like taking something off for an extended period of time in the summer right. with like a little shitty AC fucking 60 degrees maybe cold enough. nah it just wouldn't not, not, if you leave out some water I should would have greased at the temperature so those were more favorable to me, you know, like recently, uh, Tom is talking about, you know, cause he washes a lot of people's stuff and he's like, man, I only want to wash dry. It was properly dried. I get better yield. Some strains, they don't yield and it's strain specific, but when they're dry, a lot of them just do good. And I can see his point on that. But what I did to counter that is that everything that I started collecting and growing was what I was looking for to make it easier on my life because I didn't process anybody else's shit ever, just my own shit. Right. So it took me like, man, I don't know, like five years, bro, to change my lineup from shit that was whack to stuff that was actually productive yeah. to where my style changed from growing flowers to just like growing to see like how many trichomes I can get per lamp. And that's a crazy way to think about shit, you know? Yeah, I gotta I got fucking take a piss, bro. Go for it, bro. Dry sift essentially are very similar. Let me see if I can find a picture here. In the sense that they, they have trichomes, right? If you look at, um, let's say this here and you zoom in and you like fucking, let me see. You'll start seeing formations there, like one there, one there, one there, one there, one there. But what ends up happening is that they start to fuse and they kind of like unite and end up creating things like that, like that. You know what I mean? They blend, yeah. Yeah, and it, create, and it creates a look that starts to look different and it could be the volatility of like the fresh terps 
breaking stuff down, but it just looks different. When you compare it to like a, a dry sift, shit looks fucking fantastic. It doesn't ever change. Because I think the best way to compare it to it, in my opinion, would be like having like a grape and a raisin. Like not in flavor in the sense like, yeah, you're fucking raisin, but in the sense like a raisin is a raisin, you know? It's like a fucking fruit that's been cured and it stays like that. It's like a cured, a raisin is a cured form of the grape, right? Right. I hope so. I think no, so. That sounds, that sounds crazy. <laughs> but um, when you fucking, like the water hash, it goes through a whole change. And you get hash cold cured and frozen, like you got the weed, you froze it, you washed it cold, you dried it, you put it cold. And then like, let's say you keep it at room temp, it starts to transform. It'll get some more like translucency. It might end up like greasing. And it has like a whole span of its life until it will eventually, maybe the terpenes will eat it up and it ends up like oxidizing. Right. Because now we know necessarily it doesn't have to do with being wet. It just could be, you know, natural process because uh, it happens with dry sift as well. Some resins are going to just be darker than others. Well, in natural. the sense, well, more like whiting out. Okay. Well, where they will crystallize and in, in, uh, turn chalky. I see. Yeah, and it, it's a, like a process a lot similar to like shatter waxing. Uh, happens with dry sift as well, but dry sift doesn't go through changes. When dry sift is cured, you know, the magic word being cured, it stays like that. And for example, this resin is almost two years old. This resin, like my boy had it. I didn't take anything when I made it. I just gave him the whole thing because he's done a lot of good for me. And he like, I guess, felt some sort of way about it. So when he saw me, he was like, hey man, I'm not going to leave until you take some. <laughs> and I was like, all right, yeah, for sure. I'll take some. And, um, you know, no special care or anything, but just it being, it preserves itself because of the curing. And so to get it though, you you were saying earlier, you needed to break down a lot of material. Yeah. And is that material at that point dry and cured or not necessarily? The, okay. So the material to be able to dry sit is dried and cured. I've tried before in the past where I've tried to keep fresh material that's like fresh and frozen. And I would get that like, it would end up becoming a mess as you can imagine. And I would dry that, that fucking mess of like chlorophyll and like trigones that fell out, it was really cold and water and like get it. And then I would refine that. And it would go through similar transformations as like water ash at that point because it was not cured. So it ended up, I used to call it live sift and took some to a boy one time and he was like, bro, you sure this isn't water ash? I'm like, nah, bro, because it, it started turning translucent. Right, changing. Um, yeah, so my preferred form of like material that, that makes my life easy is trimbing. So like I told you earlier, the trimbing was what the lady was using to produce right. that, that keef. But what the trimbing does is that it does the natural, it does like a separation with no excessive force. So as a trimmer's on this, like a trimbing is like this thing you lay on your lap and it's like a bottom piece and then a plastic molded piece that goes right over and it has a screen. As a trimmer's like hitting the flower, the keef falls and the way it tends to be just like only the best heads. Which so would you say that it's the more like mature heads or not necessarily? I, I don't don't even know them, bro, because they're they're never necessarily red like in mature. Because when you think of a resin being mature, 
Because weed will make you think of all sorts of fucked up things. Why is the grinder? Do you see it? Uh, so when you're growing for flour, they tell you, yeah. It's back there. Yeah, here it is. They're like, yeah, man, well, for flour, you got to make sure the heads are like cloudy and clear, clear and amber or whatever. Right. But when you're making hash and you realize that when the head is going amber, it's actually shrinking. The head starts off bigger when it's clear. It's clear. So it's almost like the raisin at that point where it starts like... In a sense, it creates more cuticle and it shrinks and it it turns red. That's why like... And uh, no, you know, for these people listening, you're probably, no, man, I washed 70 and it's white. Every variety is different. But if you have a variety that you wash and then let's say you take it at 40 days and you wash it and then you're like, okay, I didn't get a good yield, but this was my ratio of like 90 and 70. And like, I got like a lot more in the 90 and less in the 70. And you take that same plant, you wash it at 45 and 50. What you'll notice is that you might get a little overall yield, but your 70 is getting bigger and your 40 is getting bigger. And necessarily the 90 is no longer the, maybe not the biggest bag. So it changes. Yeah. It starts going from big to like, you see the transition. And if you take something too long, like maybe at 45 days, it was full melt. It was like, wow, this is fantastic. And then at like 60 days, starting to leave a little bit of residue because the shit is getting more cuticle. You know what I mean? Right. So... Mature, I don't know if that's necessarily the term because I don't like mature heads, bro. Realized I like more of like a, a big bulbous fucking like a 90, a 120 because it has a more oil content and the gram just weighs more. Like you'll have less hash, but you'll have the same weight. And But this hash is just so much richer. You're getting so much more oil per wax ratio. You know, you're, you're almost paying for more wax than that's the right. it's micron. Just, it's, it's weight really. Yeah. It's, it's at a very small scale, but... Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so with the trim bin, it drops like the, the fire heads. And what you'll notice is that the moment you give that trim bin any agitation, like for example, you say you have real white keef and you have some trim. I've told my trimmers like, don't fucking touch the shit on the top. And then you'll have one that's like, hey boss, look, check out all the keef I got. And then you're there looking at it like, damn, bro, that keef, like why is this guy's keef white and your shit has specks of green everywhere because you gave it the little rub. So... You know, properly prepared trim bin is like makes your job already hours faster. So it literally just falls off. You apply no no pressure, nothing like it, to yeah. it, and and it's just the the most natural uh, ones breaking off, I guess. Yeah, they're they're just prime at that point. Now I don't always have the luxury of working with trim bin, so you can work with material and work with flowers, and uh, I don't like working too much with flower because. At that point, I mean, with the reduced cost of per gram, if I feel like if I don't get a, a certain number, like I just took a big loss, you know? So let's say, I don't know, you work with some trim. That's like the, the worst starting material because you have to break it down and you end up with a lot of contaminant, like a lot of starting contaminant. So you'll end up with, you compare, let's say the same strain, same time, the trim bin will look white and this shit will have a, a crazy green hue to it. And you just have to like work a lot because with the dry sift, like you were mentioning, you're working in the sense like from somebody's worst nightmare in, in water hash, like something that doesn't melt, something that just doesn't even look like hash. It just looks like new bad. And then cleaning it and taking these things out of it and purifying it yeah, and making it pure. Like your whole thing's purifying. 
with water hash, you're filtering. So you're, you're getting the resin, you're taking it off in a gentle manner, and then you're, you're filtering this resin and trying to do like everything as gentle as possible to make sure you didn't like disturb it too much and get like green in there. Why? Because once you get the green in there, they can't get it out. You see, they're limited in that sense. So if they mess up a batch, that's it, done. Right. With a uh, dry sift, you can, I can fucking grab this, go, and yeah, it'll be a little bit pissed off that I got to clean it. But you can go back and, and essentially fix or I can get keep right back to what it was. It. Yeah. I can, I used to joke to people, I was like, man, I bet you can ash a cigarette on a fucking jar of hash and I can clean it. <laughs> you know, not that I'd be real disrespected at that point. Right. But, yeah. But, um, you'd be up for the challenge. Yeah. I'd be able to do it. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a different methodology. It makes you understand the, the resin a little easier. I, mean, I think that's what uh, one thing that a lot of people are lacking nowadays with, um, with the, like you said, the freeze dryer. I feel like the freeze dryer took that trichome knowledge of besides just like spinning the shit and collecting the water. I mean, it kind of does it for you right there, you know, but then like handling the resin. Like my boy said, like if, that, if the freeze dryer takes a shit in the middle of a dryer, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, will they know what to do? Maybe not, you know, but there's a lot of people have been drying with air, drying other ways for so many years that they actually know what's the process of what's going on with that resin. Like they know what, what it is. Right. And I feel like that, that whole aspect was lost in, in like the newer generation of hash makers. Now, does it mean they don't make good hash? Right. They most definitely do. And I've seen a lot of people that have came from like the freeze dryer generation make some stupid fire. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I was telling you earlier about the photography thing, um, like going to school for it. And in a way, when you're talking about it, it kind of, I equated to like still going through film, you know, learning how to develop it, learning how to print your own stuff, as opposed to just running a digital camera and then running it on the computer. It's almost like a, a little bit of the craft of Well, it would probably, I mean, yeah, or you could look at it like the fucking film photography is the dry safe and the <coughs> DSLR is the water hash, but... Imagine if like you took a picture and the computer like post-processed it all for you. It's like, here's an awesome picture. You're like, oh, great. I'm a photographer. I don't need Photoshop. <laughs> and it'll, it'll get there, you know, you know? Well, eventually, probably. Hey, uh, that's what, uh, that's what people say, man. Like, like they'll be like, oh, are you scared of innovation? There's this guy that made a, a closed loop water hash machine. And I was like, Cuban, I'd like for you to try this. And I was like, yeah, great, bro. Like send it. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to need some money up front just to be able to like give it to you because it's all like, you know, stainless and everything. And I was like, how much do I got to give you? He's like, 8,500. I'm like, what? I'm like, no, bro. So when I, I kind of like was like, mm, you know, I saw him at an event. He's like, Cuban, are we going to get a machine? <laughs> I was like, like, I was like, bro, let me ask you something, bro. What is that fucking machine going to do better than me standing in front of those bags, bro? Like, tell me, bro, is it going to make better hash than me? You really think so? And why is it going to cost me nine, nine grand? No, that was, that was a hookup price. I think yeah. it was like 20 something thousand. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like innovation will be there. And uh, I'm definitely not afraid of it because like I said, I don't like washing and I don't like standing in front of a screen for a long time. Yeah. But everyone has a standard of quality, bro. And my fucking standard of quality is like handmade craft fucking hash, you know? I was talking to a buddy and he was like, yeah, man, you're, you're a lot like this guy that if the shit isn't like to your standards... You're not going to do it. But me, I don't mind lowering my standards a little bit and making a lot of it and selling it. I'll, I'll reach those numbers too. Right. And I'm like, nah, for sure. I bet you will. But, you know, like, I still in my heart is what got me in here. Yeah, it's like almost uh, 
it's like purest in you or yeah you know, and it's like again it's, it's going back to what i talked about a, a while back ago which is this kind of like standard of excellence like if people know that it's coming from you it's going to be good and even you know some of the collaborations that you've done you mentioned the village earlier i know you guys work together i know i got to try i think some of your jungle boy stuff yeah and that was then, fire too i guess recently i don't know i saw on your instagram that you might be doing something with harvest moon yeah yeah so harvest moon is a badass it's mike and uh, he's doing big things too bro so we have a good re working relationship in that sense uh, obviously rolling up someone with we now so I, i like what he has to offer and the times that we we have worked together has created a lot of buzz on the internet so you know we're gonna see what's up if we can get some gas dry sifted but like i told you man you know there's no keef here and it's not that the weed's not keefy because you look at the weed and it's good it's just not that it's that ultra difficult but it isn't the skittles thank god it, it keeps <laughs> yeah the one that kicked up on that second screen yeah man holy shit that shit smelled really good but you know it's just some stuff isn't isn't made for it man yeah no and that, and that's the thing uh that i think i'm, I'm learning most about is it's just the fact that Some stuff is going to work and some stuff just isn't, you know? So a few more questions yeah. before we wrap it up. What do you feel like is in the future for you or, you know, both of you and, and your brand? Well, it's difficult to say. Like I tell my wife sometimes, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, trying to come up with fucking new ideas to, to stay afloat in the game. And sometimes, you know, you run out of fucking ideas, bro. I've, uh, tried to do the wreck endeavor in in the sense of like starting a little company and shit and and that's been a little difficult and then also i just think about the um amount of fucking you need a good team bro you know you need a good team because the shit isn't easy if it was just fucking pressing a button and, and we can make some money i'll make money with everyone that offered but it's a lot of backbreaking labor and a lot of that backbreaking labor, like you said, my lady and I are the brand, right? So guess who has to do that backbreaking fucking labor? Yeah, you guys. You know, so a lot of people, when they come up with some fucking, uh, like my boy called it a fucking, the horse feather, just coming with the bullshit. And, and like, the way I look at it is like, damn dog, a couple of years ago, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have not ever even considered fucking with you guys. Right. Like what are you, like what you're trying to offer me sucks. So that's gotten me a little jaded. So I started thinking outside the box a little bit. And I realized that when you do consulting, you can claim that on your taxes and stuff and be able to get something like a house because it's knowledge, it's hands off. And it's not like necessarily right. what they're looking for in, in, in regards to that fucking, um, I think it's the 280E tax. So that's what I'm focusing on, doing training with the scaling of Waterhash, helping people be able to like get an SOP established, build like a good flow on their lab. And what's an SOP? Sorry, just said it. SOP would be like um, just the way the business is run, this from the, you know, when you get material to what you do, to how it's processed, um, the, the operating procedures gotcha. of, of the lab. And in the scaling, you know, like how, how are you going to take it from two washers to 16? You know, how are you going to take it from one freeze dryer to 10? How are you going to get that flow going? How are you eventually going to go from like, you know, most, like I told you, I, I do one shift of work, you know, but how do you plan an operation that could do three shifts? How do you do something that people are washing 24 hours a day? You know, those type of things are crucial because... Well, to make it at a commercial level. Yeah. Eventually. So if you can get a permit and you got a space, 
you made it pretty far. But if you're not making money on that space, that's bad. Now, I'm in the opposite part. I don't got a space. And I'm real reluctant to partner with people because, you know, it's a commitment. Right. But you know what? I, if I had that space, I'd kill it. As I know how to kill it in that space. So that's what I want to teach people how to do is uh, how to take that shit to the next level. No dry sift. Like I told them. I got like a price in, in my head that <laughs> I'm even going to shoot it because I know the person wants to learn. They, they know how to make that offer. They can't, ref- that I won't refuse, you know, but no, nah, just, I, I don't think it's scalable anyways, regardless of dry sift. The water hash is really where, where the money's at and the rosin too, big yeah. time. Yeah. And uh, when you do press rosin, you're pressing on the Sasquatch and I, I recently saw you got a kind of new customized one. Yeah. Uh, why good. is it that you like their, their press so much? So Sasquatch, I've been doing the rosin since that shit's fucking was released, bro. You know, soil grown, Bill, he's a fucking savage. I think about it all the time because he released a technique that has created like a multi fucking million dollar industry based on his. And, you know, he's still also in the pipeline to get a lab. Like all these people that were like innovators and shit, I really deserve it. Maybe he should have like a fucking $10 million lab, right? Because everybody's making money off of his shit. But his family is the people that make the Sasquatch press. Okay. So they made, you know, I was doing it with the hair iron, doing it with the plates. When I met Soil Girl, we became friends. Met their, his uh, family at like the cups and events and stuff. And one time the Sasquatch crew, they hit me up and they're like, yo, we want to get you a press. Because, you know, you, you fucking big us up a lot and... And shit, want to get you something. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome, bro. Yeah, that's cool. Like, holy shit. So they came through and they blessed your boy with a press. It was a V1, the original. And from there, I started using the products a lot. They were supplying me with bags and stuff. And this was a time when I was in a transition. So like economically, I probably couldn't even have afforded a press. But it, that press was a blessing. I was able to make a lot of, of product when the time came. We you know, won Rosin Awards using their equipment. And then I went to the V2. And the partnership just grew further, you know what I mean? Only this moment exclusively used their stuff, talk to the creators of, of the press all the time, try to kick ideas and stuff like that. They're gonna be here in SAC, I think a couple of days I gotta follow up with them, but they wanna do like some pressing videos and stuff. Ooh, some yeah. demos or? Yeah, in a sense, they're gonna do like some, like a video series and stuff. And um, they, they know a lot about Rosin, I mean, they part of the original team that was created it, you know? So we're going to kick some ideas and stuff. But yeah, man, they just, I support who supports me. I'm also very loyal with uh, with the people that, that allow me to do what I do. Like to give a shout out to my sponsors, like Real Shit, fucking Sasquatch, Ice Extract Equipment, always looking out big time. Veg Bloom was looking out big time too. I know Zach, uh, I'm not sure he's with them anymore, but... You know, they, they had, let, had like a community to allow me to do what I do. And I mean, that that's a great reason to be loyal to somebody, but they also make great equipment. They're also personal friends that I've met and people that do this type of shit for the right reason and not trying to like exploit it and, and you know. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you're supporting a, a small family-owned business. And then, like you said, on top of that, it's a, it's a great product. So... Yeah, that shit does work, bro. The new one, the M1 that I have, it's a side flow press. So the presses that they designed were directional flow. And directional flow means you got a you got a plate, you only have one opening, and you have to like fold 
parchment in a way to like direct the oil out through that yeah, side that of the kind plate. of front thing yeah. that everybody does where they catch it. Yeah, but I don't like that too much because I feel like it, when you do rosin, you have like a bag, it's like a rectangle and it has four sides, but you're forcing everything out through one side. So you're creating a lot of pressure on those seams and stuff right there. So not only can things like chlorophyll dissolve and release, dissolve solid into your to your fucking um, oil, which in the end when it hits heat and it's not dissolved anymore, it's going to look like some contaminant. But when you look at it as a shatter, it's fucking clear. So that's like, that already I knew there was a problem. But when you do it with the side flow, because it's able to release the pressure in four directions. Okay. Then it's it, it's easier able to expel that oil without creating too much pressure in the bag. So it's creating from the pressure from the inside out instead of from the outside in, basically. Yeah, it's like a hair iron. So... I always wanted that. I was like, man, I, I don't know why, like my, when I press like a little person on a hair iron, it always comes out better. Everything about it is better. So like I hit them up and shit. And they actually hit me up. They're like, yo, cause I had the V2. They're like, yo, we want to, want to fucking set you up with a press. And I was like, whoa. I was like, dude, can we, can I tell you like what I, what I'm thinking and shit. And, and I told them the, like what I thought, I only need a hash press. I told them I don't need 20 tons. I'm not pressing a fucking enormous brick like that. I only need like, you know, something like the size of a poker card when it's folded and I just gave them that, yo, the new M1 that we're releasing, I think this is, this shit's going to work. Like we're going to fucking do a couple things and send it to you. And they did when I got it, bro. Normally there'd be a lot of prep work making those stupid envelopes with the directional yeah. flow. Uh -huh. And this shit was like, I was like a kid in a fucking toy store. When I set the thing up, took a bunch of fucking rosin grain out. I was like filling a bag. Folding it, like folding a piece of parchment and I was in, in it already, you know, like cut my preparation time by like three quarters. So ready to go. And the quality was already better. Now the yields were better. Like everything about it, I was like, yeah, this is definitely fucking lit. When they come, I want to talk about a couple like little manufacturing things. I, I want to try to like customize it. And uh, but it doesn't look hard. I just suck with welding and shit. And I don't want to fuck up this shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like, start fucking things up. Then I, I got to explain myself. <laughs> well, that's cool that you guys can basically kind of, you can give them your input, you know, and that they, they'll actually do something with that. Um, so that in itself is, is pretty cool to have that working relationship like that. Yeah. That's that's what it's all about, bro. I'm sure that it's R&D to them too, you know, and it also gives them awareness on their product. And there's a lot of uh, good presses out there too. Another cool one that, that I've always been interested in seeing is the pure pressure press. That that one is like more of like a technologically advanced press. It has like uh, pressure sensors on the plate and it tells you like if you're getting too much pressure buildup on one side or if the oil's releasing, it, it like visually shows you on a screen. And uh, those type of tools, I mean, fuck, you're 2019, that's just pretty futuristic right there, right? Yeah, I've seen those, you know, on various people's pages and uh, I didn't know much about them, but that's that's pretty cool about the sensors. Yeah, it's it's crazy it's it's like a high-tech twist to the press and their press is uh it's also nicely fabricated you know but a lot of that information like the pressures on the bags and stuff as a hash maker i know from like using a press like i know what to expect but you know where that's good like let's say you have some employees uh -huh. the good thing about this press it has like programs so it'll be like for this amount of time it has to reach this pressure max and then you gotta go to the next step and it'll like have a screen showing you like what to do and you can create kind of like a fucking program for your your, net, your batch you gotta press like a thousand grams you got your employees and if they follow what the screen says you can't fuck it up yeah that's nice it basically creates a manual yeah for people to be able to just follow 
Yeah, yeah. So it, it's pretty cool in that sense. I see it, you know, in the big, the big picture of it. But like I said, man, as like a hash maker, that Sasquatch, that shit don't got no digital shit to break. <laughs> that thing's ready to turn on and ride, you know? And that's what I like about it. And there's just the craftsmanship of the, the welding, bro. If you look at it, at that thing sometimes, they're like, they look powder coated, the welds are clean. And, and being like an automotive enthusiast, especially race car, I got like a roll cage and all sorts of welds and stuff. And when you look at the stuff that they make it themselves, it's just it's like a beautiful piece. Every piece, every press is made from just like starts from a fucking sheet of metal and they start just building it out. It's not like an assembly line thing, you know? Right. And I think that's handcrafted. Cool. They're all handcrafted, yeah. yeah. That's fucking awesome. That is awesome. And it's made here as well, obviously. Yeah. The Sasquatch is made in um, SoCal. I don't remember where. It's somewhere in the desert. Pure pressure is probably made in the US too. I'm sure a lot of presses are. Yeah. I guess that's the unique thing about like uh, American craftsmanship, like knowing that like damn somebody was like with a welder cutting metal and shit, and I'm here making some fucking badass rosin thanks to that dude. Yeah, he he did his handcraft. Now you're doing yours, and it's crazy. It's, it's nice. Yeah. Favorite three hash makers outside of your own hash. Oh, that's a that's a hard one. Off rip, I'm gonna say third gen because he inspired me a lot, and he's a good guy, man. He's a fucking to me still motivates me and makes some of the best hash I've ever tried in my life, bro. Now let me think for a second and third. Yeah, take your time. Uh, so outside of my hash, I can't obviously name El Daggy, my <laughs> wife, or Eric, because I'll just squat up, man. I can't yeah, do they're all part of your... All right, all right, all right. So for the second one, I'd probably say, I think Pua, because he fucking has some of the strongest hash I'd ever smoked in my life. And that man, like, bro, I remember his first appearance at the Emerald Cup. It's because he came to my house. And I was like, dog, you need to come, bro. Like, wow, you have really good hash. And he came and he was like, he, he's a very kind natured guy. He started, he's selling and giving people stuff. And, and like, everyone was like, yo, that cherry kush, you know? And, and it, he's the truth, man. He really does make that good shit. And for the third one, hard one, I feel like I only got one. I gotta think, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people that could go in like your top, you know, six or seven, but three's, three's not many. Three's not many at all. Man, I think that my, I'll do a combo for these two. I know they haven't worked together for a long time, but they inspired me a lot too. I'd say Ken Wall and Jibs, because although they, they're not doing trichome heavy extracts anymore, they're like from the generation before me. They did a lot, you know. Ken Wall still does a lot, so does Jibs. Jibs, to me, is an amazing guy. I don't know if you know him. I don't. I actually, we had talked about maybe doing something on this trip, and it just didn't work out, but yeah, yeah I hope to talk to him sometime. He's a, he's a really good guy, man. Him and his lady and Ken have, like, a real big love for hash, and they're still pushing it uh, to the next level. I was just asking not long ago, Ken on the DM, some, like, info. You know yeah, I mean? they're always, they're pushing the envelope. Always and, and, and instead and they they're the type to never fall down, bro. Like they they've had some bad business situations go down, and instead of like you know giving up, and in this game you can't in life you can't give up. Life's all about fucking keeping going, you know, regardless of the odds. I feel like you know you can't, and these dudes like push forward and they keep doing great things. So yeah, for sure, there's, those are two that I enjoy. But I got a lot of friends, man. Fuck. It'd be fucked up if like somebody's listening and they're like, man, he didn't name me. No, man, you guys know who you are. I don't follow a lot of people. 
I'm a private person. Like I tell people, they're like, you've been following me. Like, nah, until I meet you and shit, I don't even fucking know you. you yeah, know? that makes sense. And, and a lot, a lot of uh, life, lifelong friends I've made through hash. For sure. That's cool. Last question. And I guess, I don't know necessarily that it goes in line with the other question that I asked you, but if there was somebody that you'd like to hear on this show, who would it be? Huh. You should get third gen on it. Third gen? Yeah, for sure. I think third gen would be, would be a beautiful person to have on there because of his, his experience and the, the fact that he is like so enveloped in the Mendocino culture being NorCal, like he is part of the generation that I used as like a baseline of excellence to me. And he still is excellent. I mean, I don't know if you know some of the achievements this guy's done, man. Like this guy, I judged, I'll tell you a fucking story. He's like, he's the only person that has ever swept first through 10th in the Emerald Cup. First through 10th. Yeah. So when he did first through 10th, I judged. Or he did, actually, he did something like first through 10th the year prior. Something crazy like that. Or maybe nine places. Some crazy shit that you're like, what the fuck? Um, And you said there's a good amount of entries. Yeah. There is. So I would, when I went in there, I was like, man, I'm going to be very fair. I'm going to make sure. Cause like, like how the fuck you get first through 10th? You gotta be like a God or something. And I'm there like looking at this stuff. And this man was clever, man. You know what he did? He made sure to enter stuff in all sorts of different locations. And he would use different packaging or like a different, like, just like it, it none of it looked like it, it came. Some were like, yeah, these look like, you know, they're really fire. But what I ended up realizing is that the stuff that was really, 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 really fire was all his, bro. I didn't know that. You know when I realized that shit? When I was at a fucking, after we submitted everything, and they don't tell you who won, but there was a dinner for Buddy's birthday, and Lem from um, fucking Lempire Seeds and um, Compassionate Heart of Ukiah, he was at that dinner, and he was he came up to me, he's like, what's up, man, whatever? And he's a cool dude. Uh, he was like, what was your favorite? And I was like, oh man, like like this one. And he was like, oh yeah, that's Brandon. And I was like, yeah? I was like, what about this one? I was like, yeah, that's Brandon. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck, for real? And some of those cats like in the judges thing, they, they like some vibe doing them, some didn't. There's, there's everywhere in life, there's always some conflict, especially in a community like that, where there's a lot of money and everything. They, you know, that shit gets to people sometimes. So they, some of the people were like, I don't want him to win. And bro, sure enough, bro, he fucking like, I don't know. He didn't get first in hash. He got probably like a bunch in hash though and a bunch in rosin. The next year, something like totally similar. This, this dude is like amazing, bro. Literally amazing. And what makes him special is not that he makes good hash. I mean, he does. But when he goes in, he goes in in the same way I go in. It's like to him, it's all about the quality. Like he doesn't give a shit how much first watch he has to put in here or whatever. He's just going to make sure that, that whoever he's going up against can have a really hard time. Just represent the best he's got, basically. Yeah, and that's what he does. He, he fucking, he puts the best he's got. He never, he's about his fucking quality. He's about his shit. And, you know, got mad respect for that shit as like a fucking, a, a person that's done the fucking rodeo too, you know what I mean? In, in a sense, that boy goes hard. That's fucking hard, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep hearing about it. But uh, yeah, that would be cool. And he does a lot for kids too, bro. Fucking, um, he 
during the summer host um, and sponsors a bunch of kiddos to do like, um, I don't know if it's like mountain biking, but he has like a, a racing team in Mendel and he like sponsors people and kids to like be part of that team and, and tour and shit. I think they got like a championship or some shit. And yeah, I keep up with the district. Yeah, I've seen that. I, at first I was like, what are you doing? Are you like racing bikes or you got a kid racing bikes? <laughs> he goes, no, nah, man, that's the team that I'm like, like I'm sponsoring and shit. And we take these kids all over the state and shit. Kids that kind of like wouldn't be able to afford it. We fucking got them doing it. That's awesome. And um, when, when you see somebody doing that, you know, for their community. Yeah. That's fucking 100 right there, bro. That's a very, very good person. I agree. To do that selfless, bro. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome, man. You know, it's funny because like you see a different side of him, like on the Instagram, he's just more. I feel like kind of like a playfulness, but yeah, you don't know how people really are, and so yeah, he but. he's a good dude, man. I mean, yeah, he he's lady on the computer, and he and even at the event he'll be lady, right? But um, when it comes time to be serious, he's serious, and when it comes time to like you know fucking chop it up and, and, and shit he, he's a normal dude bro you know he just has like like a fucking abundance of energy and, and at least it's positive energy some yeah. people put that shit towards some negative yeah you know and this man uses it towards like look at Eagle Clash he didn't even have an injury free bro he like gave people free food and everything he said he that says a lot about the man you know yeah that was cool and then it was by invitation only right I think yeah so, but in the, in the end, it was kind of like a all the big dogs getting together. You invited all everyone that was somebody, yeah, that could make it. It was cool. Well, cool. Well, man, I know I've taken up a lot of your time. I really, really appreciate you. You know, having me over, sitting down with me. Oh yeah, answering pretty much everything I asked. You know, so thanks so much for that. Oh no problem. I dude. know you're a busy guy, and I know it's a little late, but wanted to wish you in the. Cuban Hash Queen, a happy fifth anniversary. Oh, thank uh, you. It's funny, my wife and I actually have ours coming up here on Friday as well. Nice, congratulations. So, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man, man. And, you know, maybe I didn't say enough about, about my wife, but, man, my wife is, like, to me, like, the cornerstone of everything. Shit. Just to give you a little feedback or background, like, how I ended up in Washington. So, you know, we were doing our thing in Florida, and things don't always last forever. I got divorced and shit, and, and I was with, you know, I've known Flora for years. We started, uh, we kindled our relationship and didn't grow. And I tried to take my savings and do like other fucking honest work. Like I started a cell phone store and um, I was never really like happy, man. I was like depressed, I guess. I could, you could say I was living in like a room type of shit. It was like whack as fuck. I was like kept the fucking store open, literally paying my employees. And when I was done, it was like, $20 to my name type shit. And I would tell her like, man, the best times I ever had was like when I was growing weed. And we were watching the news one day and it was like Washington legalized marijuana. And I was like, wow. I was like, can you imagine like moving there and shit? I was like, man, I, I was fucking pretty good at fucking growing weed, man. She was like, oh, we should move. I was like, the fuck are you talking about? She's like, yeah, we should move. Why not? And I was like, what? Bro, I was like, the end of October and by the beginning of December, we had sold everything we owned, bro. And I didn't even know anybody in Washington. I fucking began, my boy is like taking me to the airport. He's like, bro, what the fuck are you doing, bro? He's like, bro, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And like, you know, like, man, I was like, nah, man, it's like a calling or something. I don't know. Like, I'm gonna fucking do it. I'm gonna get this shit. And I went, I moved to, I flew to Washington. Bro, we had to like throw 
fucking some clothes out of a bag to keep diapers in because we were like all carry on, bro. I think we left with like 14 grand, bro. That's it. When we get to Washington, walking in the fucking cold ass rain, never even been there. I didn't even bother looking anything up about it. I get a rental car. We get a fucking hotel that turns into eventually renting an apartment. My lady getting a job and me doing fucking learned how to make like BHO and I would do like trim work. And um, one of those men um, fucking had met my the dude that became my partner. And he, he fucking um, would have me like running some funny enough. Yeah, I made BHO. I made pretty good BHO. <laughs> he, had, he wanted me to like run a bunch of shit and also go trim. And I would trim for a good price to get really good indoor trim. But when I went to this one spot, this fucking man, bro, had like us picking off like fucking root aphids or some flying bug off the weed. And I was like, uh, bro, why the fuck you got bugs on your weed? And yeah, he was like, no. Nah. He's like, hey, man, just, just shut up and trim it. He told me. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this is foul. So the dude, I didn't have a car at the time because I, I had just moved. So I, he fucking, the investor picked me up. And on the way, he's like, what do you think about it? And I was like, bro, you want me to be honest with you? It's like, that's the worst fucking shit I've ever seen. That man had me picking bugs off the weed, man. It's like, what the fuck was that? And he's like, oh, you think you could do better? I was like, dog, hell yeah, dog. If I fucking would live in Florida and I got bugs on the fucking weed, yo, my cousin will kill me, bro. Like, if I even let that shit get to that point, he will fucking be pissed. It's high, higher standards. I'm like, yo, dog. And I was like, man, that shit had me cringing. And he, and he like, stopped the car and shit. He's like, you want to go look at a property that I was going to put him in and shit? And, and, you know, potentially something, whatever. Like, we could do something. And I was like, yeah, let's go look at it. And I went to go look at what became my home for five years, bro. Yeah, that was like, can't believe he believed in me because that should change my life right there. But also the fact that I fucking like the, that I moved, you know, and like that, like, I don't know, man. I was like fucking something pushed me there. And I, I fucking told my boys, I was like, nah, now I know why I got pushed out here. I felt like, you know, that was like my fucking my life's calling, bro. Yeah. Right there. And then also she supporting you. To make the move? Bro, supporting, bro, my lady, while I was making nothing, was like working and bringing home a check, bro. Like, if it wasn't for my lady motivating me, fucking busting her ass, working while I was running the garden and the debt, learned how to sift and just look what she became. You know, everything that, everything was possible, bro, because of her, really, for motivating me and like, damn, I think anybody else would have thought I was crazy. Yeah, bro. I thought I was crazy. Probably you together, though, you know? Yeah, I didn't even tell my mama, bro. But, you know, yeah, we, we did. And even through through good times and bad, you know? But we have been together for, like, almost 12 years and married five, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy as fuck. It, like, I told her I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm happy being a family man. To me, I feel like that's, like, the constant variable that won't disappoint me in my life. You know, regardless of whatever odds, at least I feel good about that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Now, sure, you're married. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're both in the same boat. Like I said, five years and we both have two kids. And, uh, you know, I think I can relate with you on that level for sure. And yeah. it's a it's a nice thing to have. It's like a, like you said, a constant meaningful thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. And, um, you know, she's one of the best hash makers in the world. Uh, beat the you best don't see the many female. No, you, know, you uh, don't see many at all, man. Um, 
Dude, yeah, I feel like a lot of like the internet is like all sexualized and shit, bro. Like, I feel like for a chick to feel like she needs to to do something, it needs to be like looking, looking kind of like a like a thought too, while either doing some other shit, uh, cultivation or hash making or, or whatever, dog. But I think that when you see like a a woman with like some good self respect and shit, and she's doing, she's letting what she does talk as opposed to anything else. That's some real shit right there. Yeah, there's there's a couple girls out there that be doing it like that, but yeah, weed uh, business is primarily like a male industry. Yep, feels like that's what it's, that's what it looks like. Yeah, it's cutthroat. I wouldn't want to. I, I wouldn't wish that upon any girl, bro. I have to deal with the sharks that are out there. Shit, yeah, you gotta I think be it takes a savage. Really a, a, a certain personality you know a certain yeah, person to, to do that yeah shit man me even me as a fucking dude i don't i don't like dealing with that shit man shit's not cool but it's what it's become like you said cutthroat cutthroat yeah well cool man it was definitely nice chopping it up yeah for sure dude I, I, again thank you so much hell yeah and everybody like i said earlier i'm sure you know but it's at cuban grower you want to follow him on instagram all right man thank you thank you Thank you for listening to the Hashish Inn. If you'd like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.